Welcome back to I Did This Instead of Killing Myself, a stand-up comedy podcast in Greenville, South Carolina. My name's David. It's the week of May 15th, 2023. Hope you had a happy Mother's Day. Shout out to all the moms. My mom. Love you if you're watching. Um, hope you had a good weekend. It's a beautiful day um, as of this recording. I hope you're having a good start to your Monday. Very excited for this week's episode. I'll get right into who the guest is. Very good friend of mine, Kelby Tidy. This is a really special episode. Kelby surprised us. He came to Greenville a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea he was coming in. Kelby was a guest on episode two of the show, which was over 100 episodes ago. So it was really nice to connect with Kelby. He is one of the um, first friends I ever had in stand-up comedy. He was at my very first open mic and when you start stand-up, if you've listening, you've never done it before, um, you kind of always remember those first people that were there because it's like, it's such a big, your first mic, everybody remembers. And um, I uh, really got to know Kelby when he was living here in Greenville when we were both starting and always a guy that, uh, you know, beyond just being funny, he was just enthusiastic about comedy Um and just just so um just such a a great guy to hang out with before during and after shows so to see him two years later was really special he's originally from union south carolina and now he's living in hollywood california um he's a father he is a nurse actor yogi comedian um and i think if you had he's a child of god uh that might be what he'd call himself if he had to like distill it down um very uh spiritual guy um and uh, in this interview is a really uh i really enjoyed this interview um we start out by reminiscing about our early days of comedy and just some funny stuff uh about those memories and uh, we hear about where he's at now um things about the la comedy scene some bombing stories and then I asked Kelby to just walk us through his journey in comedy. And boy, did we. So Kelby went back to, um, you know, the time before he started comedy and how he came through um, going back to his time in El Paso when he was in the military, his time coming up to Greenville, his time in Clarksville, Tennessee, and now in, in California. And he shares a lot of life lessons through that story um, from, you know, going through a divorce, having uh, custody a battle with his daughter, his journey to sobriety. Um, some really great stuff in here, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, how he found life-changing motivation uh, in following his dreams uh, from Steve Harvey. Uh, some great videos by Steve Harvey, and we reference those in the in the in the interview. Um, pulling himself up from suicidal depression, and then a lot of really great spiritual advice. And I always get good spiritual advice from Kelby when we talk. Um, and I'm just fascinated uh, by it. Um, talk about the power of releasing resistance through crying and laughter. Um, and the importance of unconditional love in expressing yourself authentically. Um, that's what you try to do with art is to express yourself authentically. And when you are loved unconditionally, that kind of happens automatically. And I, I think that's a, a good nugget. Um and then when you do express your authentic self, an old part of you has to shed and die. Um, gosh, there's a lot of stuff. Um, power of forgiveness for people that have wronged you. The importance of letting go. 
lessons from Yeshua or Jesus Christ um, and having that deep understanding, the difference between understanding and, and just understanding. Um, and he, he gives a nice, uh, we, we, we talk about, you know, how, how we're at in our respective journeys after not talking for two years. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a lot of good stuff. Um, I encourage you to follow Kelby, listen to the whole interview. I think we went over two hours, so it's long, but, um, put this on. I think you'll be very intrigued, um, and glean a lot of really important life lessons from Kelby and all he's doing. And he's going to continue to be doing comedy out in LA, continue to do acting and things like that. And, um, much love to Kelby. Appreciate him doing the show. Check him out. I hope you enjoy the interview. Before we get into the interview, though, here's what's going on this week in local comedy, the week of May 15th, 2023. Tonight, Coffee Underground, downtown Greenville, No Expectations Comedy. That's a 7 o'clock show. Comics get there at 6, hosted by Travis Thubbin, Craig Holcomb. On Tuesday, we have Sharky's Pub at 8 o'clock, hosted by Cali Pesfume and Amelia Nelson. Also on Tuesday, we have the Art Bar in Columbia. That's an 8.30 show, hosted by Patrick Fowler. Also on Tuesday, we have The Odd in Asheville. That's a 9 o'clock show, hosted by James Herod. On Wednesday, we have The Radio Room, hosted by Adam Schulte, 8.30. We also have on Wednesday, Tom Emmons, Swamp Rabbit Comedy, open mic at the VFW Post 92.73 in Piedmont. That's a 7.30 show now. Um, also on Wednesday, we have The Disclaimer, open mic in Asheville at 8 o'clock, hosted by Kerry Goff. On Thursday, we have no jokes out loud this week, but we have... Um, Jeff Leeson in town. He's got a 7 o'clock show. Tickets available at the GreenvilleComedyZone.com. $20. On Friday, we have All Jokes Aside at Habiba's, hosted by Dante Anderson. That's at 9 o'clock. Um, on Sunday, we have a show uh, put on by Kenneth Hughes. This is Laughs at Latitude, a show at Social Latitude. 7 o'clock show. Uh, on this show, we have Dougie Almeida, J.D. Cowell from... Charlotte, Melly Kazel, and Kenneth Hughes, hosted by Chris Todaro. It'll be a fun show. And this weekend at the Comedy Zone, we have Desi Banks. He's got uh, six shows this weekend. Um, on Friday, May 19th, he has two shows at 7 and 9. Saturday, two shows at 6 and 9. And Sunday, two shows at 7 and 9. I actually looked at the website. These are all sold out. But, you know, maybe something will change. So check out the Um if you want info on that those shows. All right, that's it for local comedy. Thanks so much for watching, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Kelby Tidy. Here it is. Kid in the chair. You're gonna try not to. I'm gonna try not to rock. Add. Yeah. Ah, uh, welcome back, Kelby. It's nice to be here. It's yes. Nice. Kelby Tidy. In the flesh. Episode. Yeah, dude. It was a hundred episodes ago. <laughs> Yeah, episode episode two. Episode. This is the second episode from episode two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did not you know you were coming, dude. I didn't know you were. Sorry, I, I think I'm too high on the game here. I didn't know you were coming into <clears throat> town. What brought you into town, man? I needed a fucking break from L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a break, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um. The last time, like we talked and you were living here, I mean that was uh, two years ago. Yeah, I, I kind of want to like for people who don't know you, like I I wanted to like say like you were at the first open mic I ever did. 
mm-hmm. at Comedy Zone. Do you remember that night? I remember that <laughs> night. That was the classic, uh, let me get a ginger ale, neat, hold the pussy joke. Yeah, yeah, you wrote that joke for me. Yeah. And, yeah, because <laughs> I had just gotten sober. We were talking about that. Oh, how the tables have turned. How the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I... uh. Yeah, dude, I distinctly remember the first conversation because we all like at Comedy Zone for people who don't know, like at, at our or how it was at our first mic, everybody lines mm-hmm. up and then huddles at the at the mic or at mm-hmm. the DJ booth. And uh, you gave me like advice like you, like you knew what you're doing. You probably thought I've been doing it for 10 years. I did. I've been doing it for maybe a <laughs> month and a half, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You yeah. said get your get your talking uh muscle going just have conversation that's what you got to do i don't know if you have this because I, I don't know if you have it in your job but do you ever do something and not realize what you're doing and then five months later you realize that you just automatically knew it you know yeah i think so yeah like i had no idea what i was saying but it just felt <laughs> it good felt to right. say it yeah, yeah it felt right yeah, yeah. i think so, it is yeah. right advice you want to be conversational on stage but i was shitting my pants that night i, I didn't yeah. Well, it was funny. That's before I really got to know comics <clears throat> and what they were. Uh huh. So sometimes I don't talk to comics before the mic. Yeah. <laughs> just to get ready. <laughs> yeah. Who was there that night? Who else was there? We it ch- was so that night. For those who don't know, during the pandemic in South Carolina, they gave minimal fucks. Mm-hmm. You know, minimal. So and this, yeah, this was July 2020. Yeah, it was right when the comedy zone open up the mic back open mm-hmm. jeff had left and went to dc yeah jeff wasn't here yet jeff was still in yeah. dc yeah. it was me you mad addy and tommy yeah yeah <laughs> and we were down at kilpatrick's to start the bar off. that's right underneath the comedy club yeah we were right there chilling mm-hmm. and uh maybe i had come i don't know i just would show up to greenville and start writing jokes like i would go to coffee and write had no idea they were doing comedy there mm-hmm. and I was like they're starting to open mic i mean i was that vanilla yeah you know yeah so, that was a good night was yeah. shelly belly there too i think shelly belly started coming very early there mm-hmm. was a couple people that had been around like jazz yeah Jarrell, brandon mm-hmm. um uh peachy peachy Tom had left because of what happened with the yeah mic. the fallout yeah, the Peachy goes back to Comedy Zone now. Do you know oh, that? he does? No yeah, shit, man. Dude. Yeah, we've kind of bridged, papered over that, I think. That's good. Uh, yeah, so that's been good. Mm-hmm. And I remember Furlough was there. Furlough. Dude, he's just come back. We were supposed to literally do an interview this week, but he yeah. freaking canceled on me. He canceled? Yeah. Must have guitar maintenance issues. Guitar, man. <laughs> yeah, he's still got the guitar, dude. He's still got the guitar. And he uh, he's going by his real name now. What is his real name? Uh... Luke Harris. Luke Sorry. Harris. I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but Oh. Okay. Yeah, Luke. man. So yeah, he came out to coffee last Monday and he did uh what was the thing about I don't know. A great song something about eating ass or something. I mean, it always comes back to something like that. Yeah. Luke, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just think remember him being in the audience uh, the first time I went up. Furlough. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um who else? Maybe Dante was there because I remember seeing Dante. I remember busting his balls. I'm like, bro, you wear that shirt like every week. Like, I see you online with the shirt. Which shirt is it? <laughs> it's the black one with the blue. It looks like spark- a little blue logo. It's like a black polo shirt with like a blue. I was like, you look like you're undercover for Spartanburg County. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think he still has it. I know he probably does. I think he still probably rocks that. Yeah, but I remember back when we started, dude, I was so nervous and scared and 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 vanilla and <laughs> sucking the toe prints of Brandon Rainwater's <laughs> tracks. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel now? Three years in hindsight. Oh, I feel like I feel great, dude. Yeah. I feel like I, I understand the energy of comedy. Uh-huh. But like I don't kiss people's ass no Yeah. More. Like I don't I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I guess when you're around it you just get desensitized, which is good. Yeah. Kissing yeah. ass in comedy. Because you know, I've heard that they don't like getting ass kissed getting your ass kissed by someone that's trying to get something out of you. So why do it? You know? Yeah. Especially a senior comic. Cause like if they've been doing comedy a long time, you could pick up pretty easily on what people's intentions are. I mean, like you have a good read on people. If you do comedy a long time, hopefully I think. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Be like, Oh my God, you're so great. Like, yeah. Or if you ask them for stuff, I, I try not to do that either. I um, didn't ask. That's how I ended up DJing. I didn't yeah. ask Brandon for anything. I would just show up and then, uh, yeah. Who's the guy that left the Hamilton guy? Jalen. Jalen. Jalen had to go up and do his set. <laughs> the Hamilton guy. <laughs> yeah. Jalen Orr also on a previous episode. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. always did his Hamilton joke. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you knew. Oh man, dude, Jalen. Um, yeah, I I gotta talk to him soon. He's uh, in Atlanta now. Mm -hmm. uh, I found out like he just kind of bounced. He didn't tell anybody. There was no like, you know, farewell Jalen thing or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I love Jalen. You got to hear some of his other jokes besides Hamilton. He's got some funny ass shit. I was waiting on him to get extra black with the jokes. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, you got Jarrell and Jazz and Brandon. I'm like, this guy needs to. I never thought I'd tell a black guy he needs to get more black with his material. <laughs> But I felt it inside, you know. Well, it's uh, the the jokes I'm thinking of are meaner. Like uh, he's got one about uh, encouraging overweight people to to work out, mm -hmm. and how it was disrespectful. And this girl told, him, "No, you're not supposed to encourage a heavier person." I sh I shouldn't burn his joke, but fuck it, whatever. And uh, he says, "Oh, I'm sorry." And he says, "You will never make it up that hill, you fat ass bitch." <laughs> <laughs> Is that better? I, li I like where that's going. Yeah. yeah. I no, I, I love, uh, yeah, all the people. It's crazy. You know, when we finished, like, the 100th episode, like, we, uh, it's just our, our little thing. But um, think about all the damn comics that have kind of come and went. Do you think L.A. is where you're going to stay? I don't know. I don't know. I like it. I like being there. Like, there's a guitar comic there. Uh-huh. I didn't like guitar comics because when I first started, you know, you listen to your idols, and uh -huh. I was a Joey Diaz guy. Yeah, yeah. Shut up, get on stage, fuck the guitar, cocksucker. <laughs> yeah, you know. No problem. Yeah. So I automatically didn't like furlough just because of what Joey Diaz <laughs> was saying inside <laughs> of my head. You know, You're like that's bad. Yeah, but there's a guy he does really good uh, at Third Wheel. I just followed him. Third he, Wheel, what's that? Third Wheel, it's so nice. All right, so they have a podcast studio set up uh -huh. up top. And then below they have a room and then like say stand-ups anonymous can come hot seat mm -hmm. the room or leg room comedy can come mm -hmm. in there or riffraff. It's a small room. These are all comedy groups out in Hollywood. Yeah. Call, you know, basically just the Instagram handle that people put on the show. Okay. And then they come in and they hot swap it. And so they have mics there three to four mics every night. Woo. 
They have Midnight Madness at 12 o'clock every night. How are the uh, audiences? It comes and it goes. It's fickle. It's L.A. Like, yeah. I did a show. I bombed super hard <laughs> in front. Of, it was a bridal. What do you call it? Bridal. When they. Bridal shower? Bridal or, shower. Yeah, like eight or, of them. Or a bachelorette party? Bachelorette party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Eight of them just strolled to come in there. I'm like, who the fuck planned this? You know? Dude, like, you should have killed in front of a, a <clears throat> I tried. Bachelorette. <laughs> I tried, dude. You tried? What? I, I, had, I hadn't done comedy for seven months uh-huh. and then the first two sets went great mm-hmm. and then the the next four sets um were terrible <laughs> <laughs> and that was the second one <laughs> that was the second one <laughs> the second one of the two was terrible because oh. i kind I, I guess i wanted to fuck one of them yeah honestly obviously. so i was like i'm trying to do good and i was like never try to do good comedy for a chick like, no if they're a chuckle fucker they're automatically a chuckle fucker yeah, yeah. dude that's the worst i think if i Think of like a an audience that is ideal. Like it's cool if there's like a couple of cute girls, but but it, it I I don't want it to be all because then I'll just feel extra inadequate like in front of all of them. Like I want a mix of old you know, whatever, yeah, and maybe one hot girl you notice, but you don't have to like dwell. But like if a bachelorette party walks in, I'd be in trouble there too. I don't know. I thought it was hilarious because the one that was getting married was the ugliest one of all. Really. <laughs> Have to be honest. I'm very honest with myself, man. Yeah, you have to be. Right, you have to be honest. Yeah, interesting. So the other girls were like out of her league. I mean, they were friends. They were Native American. I mean, they were hot. Pocahontas is Bay to me, anyway. Yeah. So they were they were extra hot. They I were, agree. They were crispy. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Who's the hottest minority? You think? I have one off the top of my head. I think AOC. Oh, I thought you meant like the race. You talking about that much? I'm, I'm over here really rattling my brain, and you're like, "Oh, no, 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 no." You're saying like, well, who's, who's "There's hot, the, there's hot women in all races." Oh, you're like, "Who's the hottest non-white woman?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, who's the hottest know, non-white woman? <clears throat> that's like, that's like asking me what my favorite Pokemon is. You know, like I like them all. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I like them all. Me too. I like the Sofia Vergara off of Modern Family. Ooh. Yeah, man, I like her. You like her, uh, her, her spunk and attitude and voice too. It's entertaining. Her voice is kind of like I don't think she talks like that in real life. Probably most of the time. Who knows? I think she kind of. It feels like for the show, she kind of hams up the accent. But that's what I'm learning I'm about like, acting. I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to see. Yeah. About sometimes people put on a front. Sometimes people just are who they are. Uh huh. And sometimes people are just depressed when they're not acting. They're just depressed or they're just some people are just not live while they're not on camera, you know? Okay. So I think of somebody I don't know, but I think of somebody, for example, like the Ted Lasso guy. Yeah. I Jason think, Sudeikis. I think Jason Sudeikis is the same guy from what I see so far off stage, but maybe he like lights up more on camera. Yeah. Yeah. You like that show? No, I haven't watched it. I don't like it either. All my buddies are into it. Yeah. I can't get in. It's soccer, dude. Don't you hate it's that soccer. when somebody likes a show and they're like, you should watch I'm like, fuck you. I this is care. too mainstream. Yeah. I want to look for something cooler. That's off the beaten path. No. Um, it's fine. I'm sure it's a good show. But, yeah, so Jake and Sudeikis, Jason Sudeikis, I think he plays a dude with a southern accent in that one. But, uh, but yeah, okay, so I want to, like, go back. Could you, like, chronicle your journey? Because you, okay. like... After you left Greenville, you had a pit stop somewhere else in Tennessee, and then now Hollywood. 
Yeah. So, so like, you take me through like that. What motivated the moves and like, you know. Um, okay. Well, I'll tell you what started it. So I was with my ex. We were in El Paso, and I would listen to podcasts. When was this? Was this before you Greenville and Spartanburg? This was seventeen. Oh, age seventeen. Okay. No, well, twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Okay. I would listen to podcasts on the road, and then I started falling in love with Joe Rogan. Uh-huh. And then Joe Rogan had JRE one thousand and had I think Joey Diaz. And then I was listening to Joey What's Diaz. JRE one thousand. The one thousandth episode oh. of the Joe Rogan experience. Okay. And so I watched that. What was special about that one that he did? It was the thousandth episode and he had Joey Diaz, which is his favorite comic. So anytime okay. he has Joey Diaz on there, he just lights up. Yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah. like kind of like a host, but not. Right. So I just started listening to podcasts and falling in love with it. And then I was a registered nurse doing conscious sedation. So, you know, when you have a colonoscopy, they put it up your butt. Yeah. I was the one that put you to sleep. Okay. With the fentanyl and versed. And I would leave work. I was working for the government, but I would leave work and smoke weed the whole time. Okay. If they would have drug tested me, they would have fired me. Yeah. But I wouldn't smoke and go to work. I wouldn't risk someone's life, but I hated the job. Yeah. So as soon as you clocked out, you're like, F this, I'm, fucking I'm getting rolling high. one up. Yeah. yeah. I didn't care I about getting you. caught, really. So I did that. And then my ex-wife deployed to the Javits Center in New York. She was the Army nurses that went to the Javits Center for COVID. Remember when all the oh, wow. service members went there? Uh-huh. And I was smoking a lot of weed. And, and y'all were still together at this point when she deployed in 2020? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and... She she had started fucking somebody else. She had an affair for like six months, which is okay. I'm over it, you know. Like yeah, yeah. So she deserves to be happy, you know. Sure. Like so do I. We just didn't align anymore. The you know? high road there. So that kind yeah. of broke it. And then I was listening to Steve Harvey Motivator Plus videos and listening to Steve Harvey, and I'm like, man, I got to do this comedy thing. Yeah. So after we so, so the Steve Harvey videos, he's talking about stand up specifically and like Steve Harvey did a string your of dreams kind of stuff, motivated plus videos. And he was talking about positive thinking, manifestation and working with the grace of God. OK, these are all on YouTube, right? Yeah. Motivated plus motivated plus. If people want to look it up. So he would do the family guy or family, not family guy, family feud. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then in between the takes, he would do like a talk thing where he's standing on the stage and they would record it and put it on his Facebook. It's called Steve Harvey Motivator Plus. And I was really depressed. And the reason that I knew I was depressed is because I was getting ready to be something else. I was tired of being what I was. Yeah. So anyway, me and the ex split and I came down here and then I was here for like so a So you were coming from El Paso to here? Well, El Paso is when I got the bug. We mm-hmm. moved to Clarksville, Tennessee, which is an hour outside of Nashville. Yep. It's where the 101st military base is at. She was still in the Army. Okay. I got medically retired because I, at the time, not anymore, at the time I was suicidal. Okay. So that's what got me out of the Army is I tried to kill myself. <sighs> and then so they medically retired me, which mm-hmm. means that you would serve if you weren't fucked up. Okay. So anyway, that was good because I get paid for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to kill myself to get paid, but it's I guess a, I have to say it's a benefit. <laughs> tip out there for anybody who's unhappy with the military. Yeah. So anyway, we... <laughs> We came, uh, we came there, and um, she deployed, and then I split after she got back because I knew something was off. She'd already, she was already with somebody, which is okay. Oh, women leave you six months in advance mentally, just so you know. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that. So I came down, and I was staying with my best friend, Kyle Caldwell, my fraternity hmm. brother. Here in South Carolina? Yeah, and then at the time, my fraternity brother, James Watson, was a lawyer and was helping me with 
my paperwork, which was a, a godsend yeah. getting divorced. Now she's Veronica. Right. Yeah, she's transitioned still. I, uh, anytime I come to South Carolina, that's my manager. Like just in case something pops off. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she knows the paperwork. Like right. she can For figure sure. it out. You For know? Sure. I like to manifest like that. <laughs> you know? Hey, this is my manager. And then people are like, you got a manager? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Yeah. Haters. But anyway, so I, I was here for a couple of weeks, and the first thing I did was smoke a lot of weed and try to get laid off Tinder because I had just left right. my ex. And right. we weren't having sex. So I had like a void. <laughs> I had to feel that. Right, and you were already in the process of getting divorced, so you're, you're back out there on the market. Well, then. we weren't divorced, but I knew it was over, but the paperwork hadn't started yet. Sure. Well, yeah. at that point, I mean. It was kind of like she she knew that she wanted to leave, but she didn't have the balls to do it, so right. I had to kind of like initiate. I said, okay, I, I had to be the one to say, hey, it's. We should split when she had already wanted to anyway. Right. But anyway, I was here in Duncan, no, Greer, South Carolina, staying with my buddy Kyle, which is a godsend, mm-hmm. staying on his couch. And then it was like, I'm about to do, I'm going to, I just said it to myself. I was like, I'm going to be a stand up comic. Yep. And Kyle's like, yeah. And then my mom's like, yeah. And then my buddy Marquez is like, yeah. And I didn't know the journey it was entailing, yeah. you know? So I actually, the first, I didn't do any open mics. The first open mic I was going to do was going to be the Comedy Closet in Columbia. Yep. I had no idea how to look up mics. I had no idea how to write a list. I had to do material, anything. So I just went there, and then I, I didn't even call them. They were just closed. They were shut down. Yeah. Oh, so you just drove up to I the I just drove up to, to the Columbia. Address. I was like, oh, this is where you do comedy. I had no idea. Right. I didn't call a host or Did anything. Did you pick a specific day that you thought it would be going on? I just looked on their website. Yeah. But- I guess something happened with the owner of the comedy club. Oh, yeah. There's a whole backstory with that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know all the details. I don't either. But it was a, one of those shitty, dramatic, like, guy got busted for doing something bad. Yeah. Me Too related, I think. So I went there, and at first, I wanted everyone to support me mm-hmm. because it was so scary. Now I'm at the point where I don't care if people support me. I just appreciate it, which is lets me know where I'm at. Yeah. So anyway, I did that, and then it didn't happen. So I came back, and I went to this place called Main Street Pub. Mm-hmm. And this is this this is a funny story how much God loves you, okay? Yeah. Okay, so I was going to one man show my first ever open mic. <laughs> For how long? Who knows. <laughs> God just saved me. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine that bombing of doing a one man show not knowing how to close? I love the confidence to... though. I guess it was the army enemy, you know? Yeah. But if you had to be up there for 30 minutes just talking about Maybe it was ignorance. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it could be great in a, yeah. in a way. Some, sometimes that works out for me in my life. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But, so anyway, so I go and the guy's like, because <clears throat> at Main Street, they're all about making money. It's the mm-hmm. pub that's lasted the longest. It's Spartanburg. So he canceled the show. And then this buddy that I used to play baseball with his brother, Ryan Haynes. Mm-hmm. I fucking hated Ryan Hames because he used to pick on me. But his big brother, Nate Hames, was in the National Guard. Mm-hmm. And I had already gotten out. And he's and once he heard it, was, I went up and talked to him because his friend at the time, said was in the National Guard. And I remember said coming to our unit. And if you don't show up for drill, they take you to jail. Mm-hmm. You're, so this guy showed up and said, fuck you to the first sergeant, who was the biggest boss that's not an officer. And they ended up taking him to jail. And it was oh. a good, it was a good old boys club. I never got participated in it, but I heard it was still very heavy malingering racism in the National Guard. Mm-hmm. Because the National Guard's like, we just get together on the weekend. If a tornado happens, if we deploy, you know. 
Yeah, they're not taking it as seriously as the other. <clears throat> not really. So anyway, yeah. Nate, and I talked to them, and then everyone was, like, scared of them or something. I could feel the energy. Everyone was scared of them at the bar. There were only two black gentlemen there, and I was talking to them and warming up. You mm-hmm. know, I'm very good at warming up with jokes with people. Mm-hmm. So he said, all right. He heard it was canceled. He said, all right, follow me. So he took me to this place on Main Street. I cannot remember the name right now. I cannot remember the name. They had a um, open mic spoken word Main Street. That's the Tuesday room. The Tuesday room with the lounge with Byron. Was it like a no, lounge? No, that's different. That was that was that was way that was way down the road. That was uh, oh oh the spoken word. Was that a house? Kind yeah, of yeah later. So <clears throat> I went there and the first time I remember. Anyway, so he says follow me. So they were doing spoken word rap, whatever. It was an urban room. Not to say whatever, but I just don't remember what. And then I would do the comedy. Mm-hmm. I remember the first set that I did. I was so happy to be doing stand-up comedy, but I'm clapping my hands after every punchline like I have autism. <laughs> <laughs> you'd say it. You'd be like, all right. I was so nervous. I mean, and then I, it, for me to get on stage would be two or three joints and four or five beers just to step up there. That's yeah. how terrifying it was. Yeah. I was so good at being an officer because I was behind a uniform. Mm-hmm. But when I had to be myself, just Kelby, it was totally different. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, I did that. And then I started going to Tuesday rooms and then started going to Thursday rooms. Yeah. And then coffee underground was still close. So I started Habib's uh-huh. and then radio room opened back up. Yep. So then I was doing it four times a week and mm-hmm. then they shut down that Tuesday room. And so I had to go to someone's house, the host compassionate. That's right. Compassionate. Yeah, I so I would that. do that. And it was so fun. Cause I'm doing like one of the guys, our twists, very good at spoken word, retired, was in the air force, works for pizza hut. Mm-hmm. Like I had so much respect for an artist that followed their dream. and didn't care about the money. Yeah. One of the guys, Jersey Mike, was a crip from Philadelphia that uh-huh. did a couple years in the pen. He was the one that told me to say the N-word in front of him. And he was like, you're going to say it. Say it. I want you to say it. I was like, I don't want to. No, nah, say it. <laughs> and I said it one time. He's like, no, nah, say it like you mean it. <laughs> I was like, okay. <clears throat> I told did him, you? I, t- I said it right in front of him. Oh, my God. Just to him? Or did you say this on no, stage a, to the spoken word thing? No, there was a couple people there. He was basically what he was telling me at the time. I don't want to go into it because there's statues of limitations, but me and him had worked together mm-hmm. on something. And he had mad respect that I didn't judge him and I was a white guy. Right. So, and I, and his eyes, I was a real, you know, and he yeah. wanted me to say it because I was, which was, I didn't want, it's not like I was trying to get the respect. It was so beautiful about how he did because I just wasn't scared. He was a little rough around the edges, but I liked him. Like I'll tell you, our twist was doing a poem about something that of a chick that broke his heart and Jersey Mike would get so fucked up. He went to prison. So I never told him what to do. Right. I'm not going to shush him at the mic. Right. This guy's went to prison. You know, he's been told what to do. So he looks at me and said, Hey, for $200, I can take care of that bitch. I'm like, man, he's, it's a poem. It's fictional. He's like, just so you know. <laughs> and then I had to think about it. That Wait, was, he was reacting to this material you were doing about your no, ex? No, the R Twist was doing. Me and him were sitting on the couch. Oh, R Twist was and doing. And Jersey Mike was talking about him, and I was like. But there was a girl that like he had an issue with, and then, he was, and then the he's R-Twist like, I'll take care of it. was talking about it in the poem. Right, right. But that would have been a sloppy <laughs> hit for $200. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? yeah, dude. If I would hire a hitman, like, <clears throat> and he only charges $200, i would be like, yeah. uh, I assumed if you need somebody... 
I mean, in Puerto Rico. You, so. you'd, you'd, I, I assume the men would be like five grand to feel good about it. Yeah. How much money would it cost for me to feel good about killing you? Yeah. <laughs> you can't skip on a hitman. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go to jail? <laughs> yeah, you can't skip on You spent on 200 that. bucks, you idiot. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so I did that, and then when my daughter would come down for the summer, I would put it on pause because I wanted to be there for her. Yeah. So that's when I would let Dante take over Habib's. Mm-hmm. And then in my mediation, when she started kindergarten, I had to be within 20 miles of her so I could see her 50-50. Mm-hmm. So when she started kindergarten, I moved. To, ne- to Tennessee. To Clarksville. Clarksville. Yeah. Clarksville, Tennessee. Yeah, Clarksville, Tennessee. I yep. moved there. Mm-hmm. So I had done... And right before I left, I was doing Habib's. Mm-hmm. I was DJing at the Comedy Zone. Mm-hmm. I was getting to know Brandon. Yeah. I was getting to know Adam. I knew Habib. I was getting to know Compassionary. Like, I'd made these really... Getting to know you, mm-hmm. which was really good. Getting to know Matt, Addy. Yeah, man. Really, really good connections, you know? Yeah. So um, I left, and then when I went from here to Clarksville, I didn't do comedy for a while. Yeah. It was a while. I was focused on being a dad. Right. And it, it hurt. Yeah. Not being a dad, but it hurt not doing comedy. Because <laughs> I was a, I was, I call myself a single dad because it was just, I had made a couple friends, but when I had my daughter week on, week off, when it was me and her, it was just me and her. Uh-huh. No backup, no saving grace, except 911. Right. All my How was that? Was that time nice in a way? Like getting to see her more? <clears throat> it was it wasn't work. I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And so I know what it's like when you don't have it. So I would rather sacrifice myself mm-hmm. and put my dreams on pause to be there for her because I know what it's like to not have a, a really good loving and supporting father. Mm-hmm. So I did that for like a year. And then me and Matt Addy had started Stand Ups Anonymous back when we were at Habib's. Yeah, yeah, he made yeah. the logo for me. So I met this lady named Elizabeth at Pepper's Mercado. <laughs> Pepper's Mercado. Yeah, Pepper's we had that Mercado. show there. And then so I hadn't done comedy. I'd went to Nashville and done a couple. And I got to tell you, when I moved to Nashville, it was hard because the mic was an hour and a half away now. It mm-hmm. wasn't 45 minutes. I knew nobody. I hadn't done comedy in so long. I was bombing. I almost quit like seven times. Really? I almost quit like seven times. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, what are the Nashville mics like when you drove in from uh, Clarksville? And um, country music has its footing for sure. And then so there's a couple people like they have Zanies. It's a good like people go to see comedy, and some people grow. I think Greenville and Nashville. Feel have their own ways of each other mm-hmm. doing their thing, but LA is totally different. We'll mm-hmm. get to that later. But, and you know, people are worried about their material. They're like, who are you? So I didn't know anybody. And then I felt really. How are they worried about their material? That you're going to steal it or something? Or? No, they're just like worried about remembering their material to do. So there's no like chopping it up at the mic beforehand. That's, that you sucks. Know? And, it, and a lot of people, if they know people, and with the scarcity mentality with the shows, like, they don't really want to make new friends because they're scared you're going to cut them off or take their opportunity. I felt a lot of that in that Wow. Show. That's yeah. annoying. So people are really trying. Like, they're all very serious about... They're 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 trying, but they're trying too hard. Not yeah. that they're try-hards. It's a difference between try being a try-hard and trying too hard. A try-hard's... Yeah. You know what a try-hard is. Mm-hmm. But they're 
that's where the grace of God comes in. Yeah. You know, just to accept yeah. that it is your dream. Uh-huh. Neville Goddard said, God wouldn't give you a desire unless he's already granted it. Oh. So like when you receive it, it's like already done. Mm-hmm. So I got tired and I had, I had to stop smoking weed cause I had massive, massive anxiety attacks Yeah, where I could not drive on the highway. So these anxiety attacks, when they hit you, like what were, what were the thoughts that kind of triggered it? Was it like, where am I at? Like what, it, like, I don't feel good about where, uh, I, where I, I find was, myself, like not a lot of friends. I have driven know? in the past. I have driven high with my daughter. Yeah. And I stopped that a long mm-hmm. time ago. Mm-hmm. And especially when I had her by myself, I wouldn't yeah. do that. Like I would have, I wouldn't be stoned to the brim. But I have a little buzz. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about smoking weed, not drinking. Right. You know? And I stopped that a long time ago. Um, I just didn't feel I, like I knew I could drive, but I just didn't feel right doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that guilt from that. And then a lot of times when I was here in Greenville, I would drive back fucked up. Yeah. Four or five beers deep, a couple of joints deep, not even knowing how I'm going to get back home. Right. And this was to Spartanburg, right? Just so about a 45 minute drive, 30 and, minute drive. And I would be white knuckling it and making and all that anxiety, all that grief, all that uncomfortableness resurfaced when I was sober driving. And mm-hmm. so it took me like a year or two just to process that. So right. I couldn't drive on the highway. I was scared. I felt entrapped. It was kind of like agoraphobia and claustrophobia mixed mm-hmm. with sobriety. Yeah. I had to, yeah, I had you to, gotta be alone with your own thoughts for real. You I know, had like, to learn how to drive sober. Yeah. Wow. You know, because I'm like, it first it was drive and I had I've I don't know if I said this before I died when I was five in a car wreck. You had it like C- clinically dead. Clinically dead. You're like a what do they call those near death experience? Where I don't you're like pronounced. I, I don't remember anything. All I know is when I got when I woke up. I was dead for like 15 minutes. I was completely blue, no breathing, nothing. Dude, I, I had no idea about this story. Dead. That's where I get these scars right here. Okay. Dead. What was the background of that? How did you get? My mom and dad were arguing. My dad was driving. Mm-hmm. I'm shotgun. My mom's behind me, and my sister's in a car seat behind my dad. We're in Jonesville, South Carolina, and this lady pulls out, and we T-bone her. Okay. I die. My dad hits the winch, hits the steering wheel, and his top teeth come through his bottom lip, so he's bleeding, so he can't give me CPR. And my mom's flailing around crazy. Mm-hmm. And then so I'm dead. I'm literally dead. Okay. And then my mom says, God, if you take him, you're going to have to take me with you. Mm-hmm. She goes to step in front of a car to kill herself. And my dad she- had been trying to give me CPR. And I guess the blood from him trying to give me CPR caught in the back of my throat. And then as soon as she went to go step out in front of the car, I went, <gasps> and yeah. I, and because she said, she's like, God, if you take him, you're taking me too. And she went to go step out in front of the car and kill herself. But she didn't. Jeez. I mean, I get, I have to, I didn't judge. I think that's just how much she loved me. Like she didn't yeah. really live without me. You have any memory of that story or is that kind of told back to you? I remember, I remember her saying, ah, like mm-hmm. right before, cause they were arguing. And then I remember getting in the ambulance. Cause you want to hear something so funny. I'm in the ambulance and I'm, I've had a concuss. I died. In in my mind, there's two EMTs. David Spade is the EMT taking care of me. That's like what you dreamed? Yeah. Yeah. Inside. <laughs> and later on, I found out he was a Sigma of Epsilon 
so am I. So he's a brother of SAE. <laughs> they talk about him, you know, when we're in school. Dude, why David Spade? That, that was I that have the no connections. Idea. I have no idea. That's a welcoming face, dude. If I were in a near death and David Spade was taking care of me in yeah. the back of the ambulance, I'd be like, shit, yeah, dude, I feel good about this. Yeah, yeah, David Spade's good vibes. David Spade. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's a that's a whole nother thing. But I um, so anyway, I stopped doing comedy. Like I was doing comedy for that's all I did. Yeah, I stopped. Did, it. did the car accident contribute to your car anxiety? You Maybe. Think? And then two other times, I almost killed myself from drunk driving. Okay, like, intentionally, or this was just. I had to forgive myself and not judge myself. Uh-huh. The childhood that I had was so severe that, that that's how I coped. Yeah. And then so once I understood that, it made things so much easier. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't judge myself for being. It's not like I was. I didn't need the things. I wasn't an addict. There's a difference between being an addict, like your body has to have it or you die, mm-hmm. versus using it as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And that's the only. I started. My dad smoked me out the first time when I was 13, so that's what I use as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And I started drinking when I was 13. So I guess, but so so I stopped comedy. Mm-hmm. And it hurt, and then I got really spiritual and started studying Ramdas, and got yeah. really, 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 really spiritual. Oh, How do you feel about that now? Are you still in that same place spiritually with the following the Ramdas stuff? And, I now and I understand. I understand that you're always learning, so that's good. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get to a point, and I wasn't happy until I got myself to a point. So I understand that you're always learning, and when you understand something, when you understand something emotionally. Mm-hmm energetically in your body it puts you in the now mm-hmm. and so you're not on a constant race for knowledge right so it felt good to feel good yeah and then so i started backing off so then i was with my daughter well and that's I'm, a good distinction uh, just yeah. you know um emotionally knowing something versus just kind of in your head knowing something yeah um because i i feel similarly i mean um i uh the the there's a whole thing I could talk to you about with like childhood stuff and like exploring that. Um, we don't have to get into that. Talk about what you want to talk about. No, I know, but I don't want to derail where you're going. So, but just the point, I guess. So I, uh, I, I part, part of like going back and and looking at like, cause I was trying to process comedy cause it's a lot when you do it so much and you're just kind of doing it, but you're, you're changing as you go through it. And I, and, uh, I, uh, I looked at old journal entries that I had written cause I would write in my journal and I, I'd have some angsty thoughts in there and just like where I was actually at. And I didn't expect anybody to read it. So I still have my old journals and I would know in my head, like I'd set out, I was kind of unhappy, pretty deeply unhappy because I had gotten the good job that I, everybody told me I should probably go after gotten great. I'd done all that stuff and I would still put, I need a creative outlet. Like I need something. And I was really wanting to do it and I just knew it. But then like actually doing it, it felt like you kind of emotionally understood and you could be at peace about it. Like I wasn't just thirsting for knowledge or like, you know, um, in like a restless way. It was like, oh, I'm doing it. And like once you do it, you internalize it in a different way. I don't know if that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's the same. Yeah. It's you could be in the now more. It's an understanding, you know, you can, you can, there's that they call it emotional intelligence. But what I've learned about the body is that we have these thoughts and we have knowledge and wisdom and these things, 
but they get translated directly into feeling. Mm-hmm. So you can be an emotional genius, just like you can be an intellectual genius. Mm-hmm. So when you when you have a feeling of understanding, yeah, understanding, where like you that. feel it in your moment, it's usually right here in the heart space, mm-hmm. where I, my my heart's on fire right now because I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. It feels good. It feels warm. Yeah, you know, it could be the coffee. No, <laughs> it's not the coffee. The coffee helps though. <laughs> Don't psych me out. You know what I'm saying? I'm on a roll here. I know. Okay? I know. You go I'm taking Tony Robbins out of his business. I'll Hell yeah, you, dude. You know? Tony <laughs> no, Robbins. I'm just what a hack, bro. <laughs> But yeah, it, it makes you feel good. Yeah. So then I come across Pepper's Mercado and your intuition guides you. And something just told me to ask her. This is such a, that's a whole nother podcast I can do, which is really actually pretty good. But to stay on point is that anyway, I asked her, does she do an open mic? And she said, no. So we started something together. And then I started doing comedy. Pepper's Mercado is the location of the mic that you started, which is a, uh, what is it? It's like a market shop for like. They have like Spanish products there. It's at it's out of business now. It was half of it was uh, Mercado, which is a Hispanic supermarket. Yep, Hispanic a, supermarket that had uh, tacos pastor. So they would do street tacos in the kitchen, like it was out of a street taco truck. Uh-huh. The other half of the store was a buy resell antique. Mm-hmm. So it was it was Pepper's Mercado and the antique. I can't remember it now. They'll probably get me. Um, so I had learned, I learned a big lesson. Yeah. I learned so many lessons there, but I learned that I was trying to make the crowd. I was trying to control the outside circumstances Yeah, by putting on a show. Now this is how you can learn, make quote unquote mistakes, help and serve at the same time. There's mm-hmm. so many things going on there. Right. So I was trying to get people to show up. And this was your re-entry into comedy. Yeah. After that hiatus. Okay. Yeah. And so I went right into building shows. I was that confident. Yeah. I hadn't done open mics in months. I just went right into building shows. And I had some stuff. And I... It's funny. I'm going to come back. But I I had stopped doing stand-up again and started back in acting school. Okay. And I was on stage. And we would... They do a comedy class. You know Jerry Corley, the joke doctor? Yeah, of course. My... uh, my, I call him the principal. David Law was on the road with him. Okay. He runs a school. So they do a stand-up comedy class at the last term to teach the actors how to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And then they do five minutes at the belly room okay. at the comedy store. I had went up there and did it. And in my mind internally, I'm bombing so hard. So hard. But he says, wow, you just look so confident up there. I was like... It's funny to me how I can look so confident as Kelby to other people, but inside I'm dying a slow yeah, death. Yeah. So I guess that's a supernatural ability to me to look confident when I'm no way confident at all, yeah. energetically feeling-wise. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I did the shows. People stopped showing up, so I had to cancel it because I was financing the shows all myself mm-hmm. and getting whatever I could back. But it was good having you all up there and paying y'all. Yeah. I mean, you did feel like royalty when you come up there. Yeah, yeah. We, we we did a show. It was fantastic. They actually promoted it on the radio, so we got to do radio spots before. Yeah. Um, it was a good time. I wanted to treat y'all golden. Yeah. Because that's how I wanted to be treated. For sure. Honestly. Did we have that show right before, right around Thanksgiving? I, I remember it was... Uh, I think that was. Not that, last year. That, that, was the, that was the last show. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was the nail in the coffin. That was the nail in the coffin. Boy, let me talk you about had this. Me up there. 
Yeah, I bought my dick off that show. I got to talk about Kirkland Manning real quick. Talk about Kirkland Manning. Shout out Kirkland Manning. Because we were, shout out Kirkland. I love this guy to death. When I seen him at the Comedy Zone, I fell in love with him immediately. I just like the guy. So likable. So, so beautiful. Such a beautiful. Some people are childlike, and it's not an immature way. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful way. Yeah. Like there's not like moldable. It's just a beautiful, like a child of God. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I'm talking to him last night. And you know I ran Habib's, and whatever money I could get, if it was 10, 15 bucks, I would split it between eight comics. So I got like a dollar seventy six yeah. or something, <laughs> right. something like that. I love that. Yeah. And then so, but Kirkland came up and did the show, and I paid him to do two shows. The first show he did great. The second show he bombed so hard he walked off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> he had like four minutes left. I think I booked him for ten. He was not ready for ten. <laughs> He was, I knew he wasn't, but sometimes you got to let people jump out on the ledge. Right. So anyway, me and Jeff were coming back. It's me, Jeff, because Jeff was up there for that show. Uh-huh. Uh, Jeff and... Dude, this uh, is so crazy. This is a six-hour drive from Greenville. Yeah. These Jeff, people OGs to drive for that, dude. Yeah. yeah. I, I, paid, I, paid, I paid y'all. I think I would make sure that your housing was covered. You would crash with me, and I would wash the sheets. It wasn't like a fucking hood place. Yeah. I had a great place. Or I would pay you for a hotel, or I'd pay you for gas and travel. So Straight pro, man. I appreciate you, it. You might have got like 15, 20 bucks to mm-hmm. do your time, but you got paid an extra 125 bucks for sentimentals or whatever they call right, it. Right. Yeah. It's not in my vernacular. Yeah. So anyway, Kirkland, while, and he, and you know when somebody bombs, they have the stink of shame and nothing you can say to tell them to change <laughs> yeah. or anything? nothing yeah it's the worst dude. so me and jeff don't want to talk to you they don't even want to talk so me and jeff are riding back and me and jeff would me and jeff were kind of in the nicest way possible busting his balls because sometimes when people are so down i will bust your balls to bring you up right i will talk shit about you funny wise yeah and then so he bombed so hard he was drunk he was like dying the energy was leaving his body (laughs) right yeah so i ended up saying that yeah, I, if somebody didn't do their time like that, I wouldn't pay him. And that was the final nail in the coffin for Kirk. What did he do? What did he say? We got back. We got back probably, about, I don't know, maybe 12 or 1 or something like that. I didn't want to get back too late because I had my daughter. I always wanted to be up for my daughter. Uh-huh. Me and Jeff are hanging out, and Kirkland's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to bed. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> I mean, that was the final nail in the coffin yeah. that like he just could not get back up from. Yeah. And... um. He ended up leaving early. He didn't even say bye. Yeah. He just left out in the morning. He didn't even say bye. That's all bad. Well, no, maybe he did. Maybe he did. Yeah, he said we ate breakfast. He Maybe he did for like five minutes, but he was gone. Yeah. So he talked to me last night because I've been working at the Comedy Zone, so I'll act like a stand-up comic, but I'll still go in the green room. Yeah. I'll still go sit in the couch and chop it up with Ken because I've been doing it. Yeah. You know, I don't act like I'm an open micer. I'm like a hybrid. So he came up to me. He said, I felt so guilty like I disappointed you. <laughs> and he had to let it off his chest. And I had to just let him let it off his chest, even though I didn't judge him. Yeah. But he just had to get it off his chest. He's like, I felt so bad. I felt like a failure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which, if you had to put it on paper, technically he didn't fulfill his job description. <laughs> right. But I have compassion. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> How did he walk off early? What did he say? The first show was packed. All right, well. The second show was three people and two of them didn't speak English. <laughs> uh, wait, so that was the show that went really bad? Like, it went bad because I would have a seven and a nine. Yeah. I want to do two shows. Yeah, for sure. 
I just and I like the mentality of two shows, and I like the mentality of y'all doing two shows back to back, two paid shows back to back. Yeah, because you know when you're it's on the road, cool. you do three or four in a night. Uh-huh. So like I'm training y'all at the same time I'm learning, and um, so he's talking to me about the last night. He was the because Jeff had told me somebody said you didn't pay people at Habib's, and I told him no, they're full of shit. You did. You'd pay yeah. him a dollar and a half if you had it. Yeah. I had no idea that Kirkland was the one that said Toddy never paid us to go to Habib. So he told me last night on the couch. I, I was like, that was you. I had no idea it was you. He was like, yeah. Talking shit. Yeah, I was like, sometimes people didn't show up, but I would pay you like a dollar or two. Yeah, I distinctly remember you splitting up the those tips or whatever we got. Whatever. I, and I had to give Idris 25%. Yeah. So I sometimes Idris. I'm renting this room. I'm like not renting, but I remember sometimes I would hand him $7 and he would just give me this look like, bless your heart. Yeah. You're trying so much. <laughs> like I'm giving you, I'm giving you 25%. <laughs> That's what we agreed upon. <laughs> like I cleared this 48 business, bucks. Bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, so I did. So the pepper smorkado went away. It was time that that job was killing me. I was working too hard. Uh-huh. I was booking. I was scouting. I was producing, I was directing, I was hosting, but I was training people. I had a DJ. Anyway, I had a lot of stuff. I had security, put you on the radio. So anyway, I quit. Uh-huh. I quit. I quit for a year. Comedy too. I quit. Yeah. I would go to Nashville like once every couple months just to say that I hadn't quit, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't be a dad. I was like, I could not do it because it was just, I had to be there for me. I had people I could call, but literally in physical proximity, for me to be there for my daughter, it uh-huh. was not work, but I didn't want... I know what it's like to have a parent that expects you to take care of them, uh-huh. and I did not want my daughter to feel like she had to take care of me. Right. So no matter what was going on, I would put it on hold and be a dad. Put it yeah. on hold and be a dad. So anyway... How was that year off? The hardest year of my life. Yeah? The hardest year of my life. It was... I would smoke weed while she wasn't there. Uh-huh. A lot of it was CBD, but uh-huh. some of it had THC in it. Right. You know, and um, I'm open with it now. Like I'm open because I, we're going through negotiations and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like I, I follow Christ in the way that I'm honest and I expect God to take care of me. Yeah. Like some would say you're saying that and it could go bad against you in court. I'm like, I'm being honest. I'll talk to the judge face to face. I'm uh-huh. sober now, you know? Yeah. So I knew I had to quit. I didn't really drink. I would just drink a couple beers like Mad Addy when we go to a show. Right. So that year I was taking care of my daughter, doing the best that I could and reading so the books. hardest year of your life though was it just not doing comedy was that it was the- so here's the thing i'm retired so i get paid so that's the beautiful thing that i'm grateful for is that my basic needs are always met because i was retired and on paper i'm 100 percent disabled veteran okay because my back and my shoulders and the suicide and stuff like that mm-hmm. and the mental yeah. health and sleep apnea and stuff like that so that's why i try to keep myself in shape so i don't lose it you know Mm -hmm. so i get that taken care of but it was the wanting to be loved yeah the wanting to express myself the wanting to be around people the wanting to i'm a i'm i'm such a great teacher when i deny myself from being a teacher it bites me in the ass yeah so it's like sometimes i have to be a teacher because it's just like my soul's calling to be a teacher Mm mm-hmm so it was so it was so hard, and I think what I was really learning is how to let go 
to God mm-hmm. and how to love myself at the same time. Yeah. And then so it'll bring me to L.A. So this is what happened right before I went to L.A. I wasn't doing comedy. I was still having trouble driving on the highway. I could drive, but I was still having trouble driving on the highway. And you watched uh, Better Call Saul, right? Yeah. I'm not caught up yet on the last season. Ray Seahorn, Kimmy. Okay. Is on the board at Theater of Arts, the college I go to. Wait, which character is this? Kimmy, the blonde hair girl. The, his main love interest in the show? Yes. Oh, smoke. Yeah. Yeah. So we would get emails that Juan Carlo Esposito, Gus, uh-huh. was coming to do a talk. Kimmy was coming to do a talk. Now, mind you, when, before I left to Clarksville, I'd already got accepted into acting school, but I put it off because I didn't want to miss my daughter starting kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So right before, a couple months right before I gave Habibs to Dante, I'd already been accepted into acting school. I just put it off. Mm-hmm. Put it off. So I'm sitting with i'm doing my single dad stuff there i'm taking care of my daughter the best of my ability i'm budgeting doing all the things but i'm not doing comedy i would do like a couple tiktok videos or something Uh oh this is what i was doing i would sit on my back porch Uh and i would do these hour two hour long talks yeah i remember seeing these on on facebook i've recently deleted all of them because i wanted to start from scratch yeah it was kind of like someone could learn from me if they knew what to listen for, but if someone didn't know, I could lead them astray. Uh-huh. So I deleted them. Now I'm ready to teach. Yeah. You know? But that's what I would. That's that was how I held it together. I would just do these talks on the back of my porch for uh-huh. an hour or two on Facebook and share them. So, all right, this is a good story. So <laughs> it's all a good story. So, um, I get an email from Ray. I get an email saying that Ray Seahorn's coming to talk to us at acting school. Okay. They come like once a semester and they do big talks. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, well, you're not that caught up in it. Her assistant, when Kimmy's assistant, Co- I th- I'm going to butcher her name. She, her name gets butchered all the time, Coco or something like that. When Kimmy is um, with the bank and Better Call Saul and she's helping all the banks, her personal assistant, she came and talked this last semester and then mm-hmm. had that manager for Lisa Bonet came mm-hmm. and talked to us as well. He gave me a monologue to read. Um, so anyway, I said, I got to go because when you graduate acting school at this school, you do five minutes at the belly room. Yeah. I, had, I had wrote on my vision board to perform at the comedy store. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And you can do the long route of 20 years or I can do, and I felt guilty at first, like, Oh, I'm fast tracking. I'm like, shut up and go to the comedy store. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to L.A., uh-huh. and I'm in Clarksville. I told my ex about it, and she was not happy with it, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. I, yeah. You know, the, I remember the first time doing this podcast, I, I came to the conclusion that I still love her, and I've always loved her. Uh-huh. And once you always love somebody, it's best to always love them. Otherwise, yeah. you're just hurting yourself. Yeah. They talk about it in acting school. We read a lot of stuff. It says, when you pierce someone with an arrow, it has to pierce you first. So it's like with the understanding, when you hate someone, the hate has to go through you first. Mm-hmm. So you feel the hate inside of you. You actually don't hate them. You're just feeling hate inside of you. Yeah. So she wasn't happy. So I remember I had a couple grand saved in the bank. And um, she, she just says, hey, my lawyer will speak to you. Like that's how. And I was like, okay, I respect that. We had an emotional breakup. So I respect, you know, she's trying to do the safe way of communication Mm -hmm. and it was this past thanksgiving 
Mm-hmm. I hadn't done comedy in six months. Mm-hmm. Right before Thanksgiving, it was Tuesday Thanksgiving, I got served. And any single dads out there, you know what I'm saying when you get served. Jeff knows exactly what I'm talking about. Just those words, I got served. You got served. So served means a process server gives you a summons that my ex had opened a court case to modify our parenting plan. Uh So anytime you want to change custody, you can do it off book. But officially, you have to pay a lawyer, open it up, go to court, modify your parenting plan. Because it's an agreed upon document signed by the judge that has to change. Okay. So when you get served, imagine imagine you have to go to court. You get served to go to court. It's the same thing except for child custody. Okay. That broke me. Uh-huh. That broke me hard because I was saving money, couldn't really afford to go back home. It was just me. And any holidays, just with me. So I would like – I would – rotate holidays with my daughter but i would prefer my daughter to be with her mom mm-hmm. because her mom has a healthy family mm-hmm. and with me you know my sister had a rough past she was an addict mm-hmm. my dad was an addict my mom's family disowned her because she dated a black guy mm-hmm. so i could have my mom which i'm grateful for but it's just me yeah. so that broke me so hard i was like did i cause this upon myself it broke me so hard i cried so the sir, the when you got served, it was to for her to get sole custody. Yeah, it was for her. And when you do the cuss, it's kind of like chess. Mm-hmm. You say they did this, they did this. Let's meet in the middle. Okay. So anytime, anytime they open up with getting served, they're saying the worst things about you that they mm-hmm. could think of because they're set trying to set precedents, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks bad on paper. So, and I had wanted to go to L.A., but I did not want to leave my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I ended up realizing that it was more about me than it was about her. Mm-hmm. I just I felt like I would be a failure. I wouldn't be there for her, but it was me processing my things of abandonment. Mm-hmm. Because she has my ex wife is engaged. They're getting married. I think in a month. Really nice guy, Spencer. He's a mm-hmm. he's a nurse as well. Mm-hmm. So that so this this will kind of like sum things up with intuition and when God speaks to you. So people can understand how God, because God speaks to you in so many ways. That's it speaks in so many different ways. So I got served. I'm crying. I don't have enough money for my lawyer at that time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the world's collapsing in on me. Because if I didn't have money for the lawyer, then I'm getting fucked. So I go to bed in my bed. I cry myself to sleep on my couch. I get up in the middle of the night. I'm wrecked. I feel like my world's collapsing and dying. I go to my bed and I wake up in the middle of the night. I had pissed in my bed. Not horribly, but a little bit. I was like, I guess I was just so emotional that I pissed a little bit in my bed. So I got up, I threw my sheets away, I washed off, and I go and lay in my daughter's bed. And I'm up, this is like three or four o'clock in the morning, and I'm up. And the voice speaks to me and says, go to LA, sell your truck. What well, first it says, it gives me the plan. I sold everything that wasn't hers that was mine. My comedy speakers for Habibs, my video games, my AR, my pistols, everything that I had that of value, I sold. So the spirit told me, sell everything you got that you can, including your truck. Save the money for the deposit. Go stay with your buddy AK on his couch, Phi Alpha AK. 
in LA until you have money for your security deposit. Apply for school. By the time the GI Bill gets there, you'll be able to afford an apartment. Put your stuff in storage. Go get back and get your stuff in storage in the summer. Start acting school. Go to court. See your daughter in the summer. See her on her birthday. See her in the summer. And then see her for Christmas. That. That. Mm -hmm. It speaks to me. That. It's like a packet of information that hits you. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. And that's where obedience comes in. It's not like obedience, like you're getting whipped. It's just like follow the plan. So that, that was on Tuesday night. So Wednesday I got up, I cataloged everything. I made $2,500 in one day selling everything I got to pawn shops Okay, to get the money for the lawyer Mm -hmm. because they're going to be closed on Thanksgiving. Right. So I did all that. I ended up, didn't speak to my lawyer until Monday or Tuesday, but I made the payment. And then I broke the news to my daughter, and then I found that I could stay on AK's couch, Phi Alpha AK, and um, I ended up telling my mom and telling Lauren and telling Marquez and the people, the close people, the close network of people I had built around me. And then I left. My daughter was going to Hawaii to see her mom's family, and I guess that was Spencer's introduction to the family. For Christmas, I was going to be by myself on Christmas. And if my daughter's with her her mom, I'm by myself on holidays. That was Mm -hmm. getting really hard, Mm -hmm. really hard. So I was like, okay, when she goes, I was was supposed to have her that Christmas. Mm -hmm. When she goes to Hawaii, I'm going to L.A. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I sold my truck. I got on. And then when I got on the plane, I had everything in storage, and I had three bags on me. And I remember being at the USO and – Nashville mm-hmm. and I'm thinking because I'd left I've cleared my apartment so mm-hmm. my stuff's in storage wow. I don't have any money in the bank mm-hmm. just enough to get me there and to eat yeah and I'm like I have nothing right now I have nothing like I have money coming in to pay the bills but like right now for merch I have nothing yeah I have a credit card and stuff like that but I I'm sitting on this USO couch with a backpack yeah this is my home right now I have nothing how did that feel? I felt so weird. Yeah. It felt so weird. But that's where faith kicks in, bud. Yeah. That's where trusting in your connection with source, which we all have automatically. You don't have to earn it or fight for it. But I'm sitting there. So I come to L.A. Did it feel freeing in, no. in any sense of at some all? Some way. it what, Like a if, bottom of... of if I could, if I could say anything, it was putting like if if I was a box, I was taking things out of the box so other things could be put in it that were better. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I would think of how to explain it. So like an emptying, yeah, not like a purging, but an emptying, making space for greater things. Right. If I, I'll try to make it the most positive thing. So I go. Stay at AK's couch for a month. Start acting school. I'm riding the metro. Mm-hmm. I'm riding public transportation. Like I'm back, not like back at square one, but I'm like there. It was yeah. the heart. That first month in LA, I was kind of depressed because I was, it was a small apartment. I would sleep on the couch and I had nowhere else to go. Like I started. This going is your to buddy's apartment? Yeah. And he had a small place. He lived with his sister. And I had no, this is, mind you, this is January. Mm-hmm. This is January. Yeah. This year. Okay. January of this year. This year. Oh wow. Okay. January That's pretty this recent. Okay. Yeah. Things my life just started turning around like last week. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking maybe we're a little farther past all this stuff. 
No, it's been getting there, but it's <laughs> it just finally like, started hitting. No, I was no. like, dear God, this is pretty. <laughs> no, it's good. But it, it's taking you across the journey. There is a happy ending to this. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's a journey. Okay. Mm-hmm. So January. Me. January. Okay. Yeah. So that first month on AK's couch, it was hard. It was hard because I didn't know anybody. I'm in LA. I'm in downtown LA, Brick yeah. City, and I don't really like concrete jungles. Mm-hmm. I like pine trees. Yeah. You know? So I would go work out at uh, Gold's Gym and just get really in shape. I did that for, I would work out like once a day. I did that. Didn't really do anything. Watching The Sopranos. Yeah. You know? Using my buddy's HBO Max until the money starts rolling in. Now I'm good to go. I'm great. Mm-hmm. Great. Right now. Started acting school. And that was such a journey because it was like being an open comp, being a stand up comic again. Mm-hmm. And being in the army, and being in a POW camp at the same time—that's how was it like a POW camp? Because they—they're not molding your brain, but you relearn how to talk. Like I'm gonna have to practice a two or three. Day, I'm gonna have to practice a solid two days. What I learn to lose the country accent when I get back and start reading off book. Okay. So you you learn how to move viewpoints Suzuki Uh you learn how to have internal patience and movement and you learn how to move on stage your body is your instrument for acting Uh that's movement voice is learning how to enunciate how you talk opening your mouth having your mouth open two finger breaths like this which is how I felt the first month of acting school yeah yeah Yeah. then there's script analysis which is reading your script understanding how to wide lens the story Right. Then there's theater history, learning of how we got here so far, mm-hmm. and then there's acting. And, and now, were you? Was one. this training for stage acting or screen acting? On camera, off camera, theater. Okay. They train you for everything there. Okay. Now I had to stop. This is this this is this is what's going to make you feel good because it finally I felt really good last night. So. I did that and made it. I'm working my ass off. And the funny thing about it, they don't even tell you your grades. You either pass or fail. I'm over here like a science degree wherein did I get A's or B's. Mm-hmm. They just tell you you pass or fail. Basically, are you ready to go to the next class? Okay. So I did that. I graduated the first term. I did great. And then I'm off this month. And then so I went back to see my daughter last weekend. Mm-hmm. And I come to... um. I came to Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. This weekend, I'm seeing my daughter for a birthday. Then I start my second term of acting okay. school, May 2nd. So okay. I'm missing the first day because I'm going to be in town for a birthday. So the reason I bring us to this point to tell you, because you asked for the journey. Yeah, hell yeah. For the journey. Why, yeah. And there is ups and downs in the journey. That's why you have to be present for the journey. So last night, okay, right before that, let me let me take it back three weeks to even give you the fucking money shot. Okay. <laughs> So I was in the acting school on Fridays we had off and I'm a hard worker and I'm getting better. I'm getting, I have to, I'm getting better at not being a hard worker. Yeah. So Fridays, like the, we had like a three month term, like a couple weeks in, I was like, I want to do comedy again. And so I don't fuck up at school and stay out till 2am doing mics. I asked the teacher the sixth term, I was the first term and sixth term they do stand up. I was like, can Mm -hmm. I just come and show up or whatever? And do comedy. Mm-hmm. And I would show up and do it in front of, it was like Habib's on steroids. Okay. No noise. 
two people that are learning how to do comedy, the teacher, maybe some crowd shows up, and the crowd's other comics and other students okay. that are coming to taking the class again or taking it early. It was funny. My instructor, Adam, who was my teacher, mm-hmm. who was teaching me theater history, and he was an administrative role in the school, mm-hmm. but then we're taking comedy class together on Friday. Yeah. Like artists. That's the beautiful thing about my school is that 80% of them are part-time. Okay. There's only 20% that are full-time, so that means – all of them, except uh, actually all of them mm-hmm. that are there that are teaching you are still doing auditions, mm-hmm. are still doing voiceover, are still producing a show, are still doing comedy. They're okay. all working, They're all working artists. actors and artists. Yeah. All working. And, I'm, and I, I started calling myself a comic. I started calling myself a yogi. I started calling myself a Reiki healer. I started calling myself... Uh, philosopher. I started calling myself. I'm an artist. That's mm-hmm. it. Artistry covers everything. I'm an artist. Yeah. I I do because I got tired of relabeling myself. I was like, I'm just an artist. Yeah. Yeah. And then it came to just I am. But <laughs> <laughs> that's the easiest one. Spiritual. Yeah. 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 So um, I would start doing. I started back doing comedy. This is the. I did. I knew I didn't quit, but I took a long hiatus. Mm-hmm. This is the second back from a hiatus. So right. technically, it's the third time starting comedy. Right. So, um, I started doing open mics there and now when I, this back in my mind, I would see y'all, you and Matt never quit. No. And so I'm like giving my house self a hard time because I'm like, they're getting better. They're going to get better than me. (laughs) Y'all are like motivating me. So Mm -hmm. I started doing their bombing and then I started going to third wheel and then I did like six sets in one week and I got it back. Mm-hmm. I got it back. It's like, you know, when you go to the gym, the first two weeks suck. When you get it. You that, get it yeah, back. I equate it to weightlifting. Yeah. You lose so, it, but it comes back fast. comes back faster. Your body remembers it. Yeah. So I did that. Yeah. And then I came back. And then Friday I did Habib's. Mm-hmm. And I, my nuts were hanging. Let's low. Low. Yeah. I felt great. Yeah. I felt great. Yeah. I did like 10, 12 minutes. I felt great. Mm-hmm. And then last night... Because the the two best sets of my life that I ever had was when I was leaving at Radio Room. Yeah, dude. I remember that set. You roasted everybody. I loved it. I remember your roast of Tucker Lawson. Yeah. You said something about, what was it? Tucker left. I guess KFC closes at 9 or something. I guess KFC closes at 9.30. <laughs> and then, what did I say about? What did I say about dude? You the only thing that t- Amelia has more than kids is time. She's quit comedy. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> would come back on, on you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the joke come back on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, last last night at the Comedy Zone, I'm like, I thank myself for last night. I thank myself for keeping going. Yeah. Because I know I'm going to be an actor. To me, I'm not saying that acting's low-hanging fruit, yeah. but like I'm a comic. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like acting's just going to be a thing. Yeah. You know? But comedy's my thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's what I, you love? It's what I love. So yeah. yeah, there's only a couple. Yeah, there's about 10. But now, like, it used to be I was so scared, like, how am I going to get to five? How am I going to get to 10? Now... Give me a room. You mean five minutes, ten minutes? Five minutes, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, give me a, a packed room that wants to have comedy, and I'll get off when I'm done. Yeah. That's how I felt because in my – that's the thing And not thinking it. so much in terms of the material or having the, the right set for – just give me the room. 
when I, what I learned about people. yoga, what I learned about philosophy, what I learned about meditation, what I learned about manifestation, what I learned about spirituality, what I learned about energy and Reiki and acting and poetry and writing and all of that. I, I was giving myself a hard time because I wasn't doing open mics every week, but mm-hmm. I, I was becoming a better comic and had no idea that I was mm-hmm. because all those other things catch up. So last night I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I'm good, yeah, I'm good. So that that brings us to now. So I'm never quitting again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's never quitting. And now I'm doing it sober. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. So that's that's the journey. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Um. Now you're you're gonna say like everything you've learned in comedy, everything you've learned, uh, and and all these other things. Mm-hmm. What I mean, what was it? What was the takeaway that like? Is it this thing about not forcing? Um, yeah, it's feeling. So what I, it depends on how deep you want to go down a rabbit hole, because I've I've went down the rabbit hole so many times that I filled in the gaps, as uh-huh. I like to call it. Like imagine yourself going down and there's nothing from, you have this level of understanding. I wouldn't call it. Let's call it going up because it's better for positive thinking. So my knowledge is right here, and I'm going to people knowledge that are up here and I'm trying to understand what they understand so I can understand that mentally and recite the information Mm -hmm. but there's that space in between and that's where you grow is your level of understanding to someone's level of understanding that has more understanding than you about life in general and then you grow and that's where the inner standing happens Mm -hmm. where you have the inner understanding so now I understand I've I know how to meet people where they're at with their level of understanding. Mm-hmm. I'm not like an Andrew Tate guy, like let's escape the matrix because that's, the, that's a, it does, but it goes against you're You're just creating more tide to push back against you in that way with your level of thinking. But there's a lot of things that Andrew Tate says about things in general mm-hmm. that are going in a direction that promotes self mastery, mm-hmm. self realization mm-hmm. and deliberately creating your life. So there's a lot of things that he says that's, that are good, good that mm-hmm. people just don't understand past the polarity of good and bad. Right. You know? So, um, what I learned is that we are eternally intimately connected with that, which is non-physical. Okay. Spirit mm-hmm. source, that aspect of spirit source, God, it's all the same that you're calling mm-hmm. has, infinite versions of itself that are connected intimately, eternally together as we are. So when I was studying Ram Dass, Tobias, Bashar, Abraham Hicks, Dolores Cannon, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, um, not Ram Dass, who's the guy... Um, Alan Watts. Alan Watts. <laughs> I watch a lot of his stuff. Alan Watts. Alan Watts was trying to encompass the polarity to its extent. But the more that I understand, so when I understand, it, it happens epiphanies. You get downloads. Le- it goes left and right, left and right, left and right is what I like to call it. Is that we are all selfish beings. Mm-hmm. And we are supposed to be selfish beings. And everything that comes out of your mouth or says is only for you by you to you 
but we have to, we live together in this conscious experience together. So now how do I apply that to comedy? Well, that's, you can learn these things and then you take it. It takes a while to apply it. But after a while, when it applies to one thing, it just carries over. So people that are coming, a lot of times as comics, we're thinking about us. Yeah. How are we going to do? Are we good enough? Am I confident enough? Mm -hmm. And I'm reactive to Mm -hmm. them. So a lot of the times, even if the crowd's dead, if my punchlines aren't hitting, I'll keep going because I want to keep the energy high. Like Mm -hmm. last night I did 15 minutes and five minutes, and I should have slowed down a little bit. In my mind, but for the conductive, for the experience of the audience, but they, you, when you, when you, when you think about both halves at the same time, they are there selfishly wanting to laugh. Right. You are there selfishly wanting to perform. Mm-hmm. You, they allow you to take control of the room. Mm-hmm. It's up to you, and that's where the comic's journey comes in. How long does it take you to take control of the room? Right. Right. To take control of the room. So you're not reactive like, and the reaction that you have is a controlled reaction. Mm -hmm. So non-reactive, not deliberately creating would be just bouncing off of what's happening Mm -hmm. and letting it happen. That's why black rooms eat up white comics. Right. And that's why a lot of black comics can come to a white room and murder. Right. It's just the level of energetic understanding. That's why I love. Cause they never relinquish control. Like it's like a strong black comic. A lot of times, yeah, and y- that come from... They the command s- the control of the audience. And that come from, for lack of a better term, oppression. Mm-hmm. So you can see how the soul's journey, it's always serving itself, mm-hmm. always. I'm not wishing oppression on anybody, but the 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 fires purify you mm-hmm. when you make it out. Right. You know? So when you know that, then you can go up there and hold this understanding energetic space of things are going to be okay, no matter what's said. Mm-hmm. So when you hold that energetic feeling of being okay and not up here so much, mm-hmm. it makes things so much easier. Right. So, you know, so you're, so, and then if you can find, this is the beautiful thing of, if you can find a way to, this is like, if you want to be with somebody, they talk about sacrificing in a relationship. Mm-hmm. If you're not already energetically aligned, sacrificing will save the relationship. But I think find someone you want to be with that you can be your most selfish around and they can be their most selfish. Find someone you can be selfish with. Mm-hmm. And then is then you're not dependent upon each other. Right. Like I was dependent upon my ex-wife for emotional fulfillment that I did not have as a child. Mm-hmm. And when she would run away and not give that to me, I take her own space, which everyone has a right to, it would demoralize me because my support system was leaving because I didn't know how to support myself. Right. And so they call it trauma or whatever you want to call it a word, but comics go through trauma just like people go through trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's the healing process of doing it. You know, D.L. Hughley still wanted to kill himself like 10 years into it and stuff like that. Yeah. But he kept going, you know. And sometimes if you realize that people – that not that you're responsible because you honestly, you're not responsible for anyone. Mm-hmm. You're ultimately not responsible for anyone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it looks like on paper, on the spiritual level, you're not responsible for anyone. But when you see that your repercussions can cause something to someone, that's what can keep you out of it. Like the love for my daughter, when I didn't have love for myself, pulled me out of the spiraling out of control. 
Mm-hmm. And then when I learn how to love myself, I can learn how to love those that I love more. Right. Exponentially more. Right. So they're like an anchor to keep you from losing it. But once you become your own anchor, you don't need people. But then you see the beauty in people when you don't need them. Mm-hmm. Then you see they're on their own individual journey. Yeah. 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 I feel like I've experienced that. I wouldn't be able to articulate it nearly as well as you just did. Okay. Um, but you hold on to less stuff. You know, I, I feel like in the last uh, three years since, you know, if I have a disagreement with somebody, I still might feel the disagreement like in the moment. I f- I'll feel all of it. Mm-hmm. But I let it go way faster. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, dwelling on you know, past relationship, right? I don't, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't stick. Like it's more like, you know, thinking about exes or, um, people I used to have problems with. I don't really care as much. And I wish them the best. And I actually mean it. Yeah. And it's like, it's so bizarre that it doesn't sit on me. Cause I do remember, you know, times in my 20 where I was more all over the place and, mm-hmm. uh, where it, it would bother me and it would sit on me longer and I would feel those same negative feelings when I thought about the person again or when I saw him again. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's bizarre. You started to realize that for you, it's better to feel better for you. Yeah. Cause it's only hurting me. <laughs> it's only hurting me. Yeah. To bottle up, you know, resentment or. And the only reason that you did that to yourself is because you were learning how, and that's what other people had taught you to do mm-hmm. until you learned it for yourself. Yeah. Or I was just not happy in other areas and I was like, well, there's something bad. I can point to that as maybe a reason why I'm not at peace in, in my own uh, yeah. in my own self. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, I, uh, so, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been doing therapy and this inner child stuff has got me really curious or the, mm-hmm. the childhood stuff. Mm-hmm. You had a pretty messed up pretty traumatic childhood by objective standards the way that i word it now i know my soul's journey i went through it so i can help people go through it Mm -hmm. that's the only reason i went through it yeah not that i was worthy of it but to help people Mm -hmm. so that's why but yeah tell tell, tell us about yours yeah mine was not bad i mean i had incredible childhood you know i mean if you if you look at the houses that we grew up in, like we didn't have a lot of money to start. Um, you know, my mom was a nurse, my dad was a uh, at a white collar design job. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, little house, and eventually my mom became a stay at home mom, and um, and then progressively kind of did whatever. But you know, very Christian upbringing, very um, you know, I was like the ultimate goody 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 boy and uh um but you know the siblings that i had like and we had a great support structure um in terms of my grandparents on that side um amazing family i'm still close to this day or decently close and everybody was christian and everything was perfect and you know it was kind of like this white picket fence scenario like we weren't super well off we weren't hurting and things were fine and um so I didn't think I had any trauma. I didn't think I had anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like outside of the experience of like reconciling the childhood with what I was faced with in early adulthood and the the struggles I went through in my 20s, 
like before all that, like everything was kind of fine. And it wasn't until going through, you know, probably 10 months of therapy um, or maybe, I don't know, it hasn't been a year yet that I've been talking to a guy um, and I've been kind of like, exp- like, oh, let me look back at that again. Let me look back at the childhood stuff because that's where they, that's kind of where they guide you to where I kind of, and then connecting the dots of like how differently I've been feeling creatively with doing stand up um, to where there, there was some things that I think I at least internalized the wrong way as a child that were really creating some blocks in how I was living as an adult. And I needed to like explore that. And there's a book I read called the drama of the gifted child. And, uh, I have it here. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but mm. it kind of explores some of what these issues might've been in a childhood like that, that on the surface wasn't bad. Like there was nothing obvious, like what you went through, but there might've been some things that you need to like unpack there. Well, let me tell you, you know, we all go through it together. Mm hmm. So, yeah. So I think what my thing was, was, um, I don't know from a very young age, it was kind of like, uh, I attributed the love that I was getting to performance, um, good behavior or achievement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so conditional, in other words, conditional love that you Con- have to keep doing to get it. Right. And I don't think my parents, like they, they, love me i mean there was no like you have to get good grades or we're not gonna do this or whatever i mean my mom was definitely a, a rule follower and definitely a registered yeah. nurse yeah yeah sober and you know and wanted us to follow all that stuff but for, for whatever reason you know i very sensitive kid i mean if i failed in any capacity i would i would cry and uh i remember t-ball was a big one um, mm-hmm. I remember like family was there to watch. And if I like got thrown out at first, I would cry all the way back to the dugout, uh, very hard on myself. And like, and that continued, you know, I would never want to get a B. I never want to get an A minus. And I didn't. And I like worked and worked. I mean, it was like just this, this tension and this wrestling. And, um, I don't know. I kind of realized, I guess, similar to what you said, the conclusion is kind of obvious and it sounds even like stereotypical, but like I never loved myself throughout that whole time. I never felt like, you know, I was, I was performing, you know, because I didn't love myself. I never was expressing myself either. Cause I always, right. What what is the real self? If you're just always like doing external things for validation, you're just going to cater the you you're presenting to people is what you think they'll like, not who you actually are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why creativity was so powerful because creativity, like, definitionally is, like, what you think. Yeah. To be creative is, like, that's you. That's not anybody else. So who who the hell are you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, And uh, it's been hard, like, because when you make a big change like that and you've already lived so much of your life, like, when you start at 30... If you're like I've tried everything else. Let me try this new direction. Well, you're it, you're 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 presented at every turn with the the doubt, the 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 whatever it is, the ego, the whatever, yeah. to say no, that's stupid. That's not. That's why I named the podcast what I named it. That's yeah. Like, I was out of ideas, and that's kind of why I did stand up for the first time. So, but it's not easy, man. Like when you go through this this book, the drama of the gifted child. Like if if you weren't 
I don't even like to say it like this, but if you if you didn't experience unconditional love, if that's not what you experienced, I think they tried to give it to me and definitely I don't but you have to like mourn that part of your life that is no longer yeah um possible to retrieve. Yeah. You have to like process what happened in terms of your experience and then mourn that shit. And as soon as you start doing that, like that's where I started feeling like it was some kind of like it was cathartic, but also it took me by surprise how easily the tears came. Yeah, they just let go, dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, shit, this is like fucking Goodwill Hunting shit. Like, what the hell is this? Like, this seems, you know. The way Bashar says is that releasing resistance comes in two ways yeah. laughing or crying. Okay. So it's good to laugh as much as it is to cry. Yeah. Because it's releasing. And so that, what you're talking about, I had a couple things in my head. While yeah, you yeah, were go ahead. Talking. Yeah. I like being patient and listening, but you you know when something comes in, you jumping out of your seat to say it. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and I haven't, I didn't plan to go through all that, so hopefully that kind of made sense. It does. And so what I was, it, you get things like, to give people an example, when you talk to your soul or spirit or God, whatever you call it, it doesn't have to be, and it can be, but it doesn't have to be a magical parting of the rivers. Yeah. It doesn't have to be woo-woo. Like I got, and it could just be brain neurons connecting in a different way. But when you were saying that, it came to me and I, I had an understanding, an aha moment. When you are loved, when you know that you are loved naturally, mm-hmm. you automatically express yourself you automatically express yourself you know but also you can express yourself to get love but imagine just for a second (laughs) when you know that you're loved and you automatically express yourself and you don't need people's feedback to continue Mm. expressing yourself right they did a study that was there was a guy they studied two kids Kids that would say that they were overloved, sheltered too much, and kids that didn't get it a lot. And the kids that were overloved excelled at everything. Mm-hmm. So this idea that humanity is losing this idea, it I've got to be honest, it does get things done, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. So the I have to work hard. I have to sacrifice. I have to do what other people tell me to do. Mm-hmm. So you probably wanted to be a comic the whole time. You were just playing it safe. Yeah. Because you knew what playing it safe would get you. Right. And it worked out. Yeah. It worked out. But now when you started deliberately doing what you wanted to do, the old part of you had to shed and die. Yeah. So I was a registered nurse because I was talking to my dad and he told me, you should be an orthopedic doctor to fix take care of me, fix my bones. So I actually toured medical university, of South Carolina okay. as a kid to be a orthopedic uh, surgeon, orthopedic surgeon. Uh-huh. And then I was like, well, if I be in the national guard and I'm a nurse, I'll be an officer at the same time. Mm-hmm. So then I became a registered nurse and then I got out and I started taking nursing jobs because it was the best way for me to earn money at the time. Right. And then I almost became a stockbroker. Yeah. Um, at this Air Force bank type thing. But these and are all based off suggestions. All things like, that somebody else told me to do, bro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then so the good thing about it is is that when you start doing things for yourself, the people that are only in your life to use you, not that they're bad, it just is what it is. The people that are only in your proximity because they tell you what to do and they shut off, that 
at that moment when that's when you start to get to know yourself more when they shut off that doesn't have to be but they're almost because there's nobody there but you and spirit yeah and your connection to spirit grows deeper yeah and then so now i let the love of god flow through me to others being there for them and i am a conduit of unconditional love that i tap into and tap out of that's why i love all y'all so much Mm -hmm. i know what it's like and i was like it's life's hard enough. We don't need it more hard in comedy. Right. So I would try to take care of everybody that I come across. Mm-hmm. At first it was to earn their love to get right. it. But then it was just because I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh huh. So yeah, but mad props for yeah. following your intuition. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, it's really now the only kind of thing that I know for sure, like to guide what to do uh because I, I used to uh goal setting and like mm-hmm. you know as long as i put a goal out there i'm you're, good you were more addicted to the goal than you were the goal yeah accomplishing course. the goal than of the course. goal and then you, once you hit the goal you, you experience this fucking horrible depression you gotta set another one yeah you gotta <laughs> set another one yeah, you, hit, you hit all the goals then what else is there you like all there is to follow your into it and then keep shedding the you know the part of yourself that gives a shit yeah but uh yeah, but you said something about um, when you do start to go your own direction and you feel people that have been in your life behave differently. That I mean, that was one of the that's one of the painful parts of it because a lot of that is family, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you process, like you you let a little bit of you out, and then you see how they react. Mm-hmm. And when they start to hedge and pull back, I'm just like. That sucks. See, now there's the two edges of the sword in the most positive way possible because I didn't really have a supportive, Mm -hmm. extensive family. So I didn't have to worry about what they would say or do when I followed my dream versus someone that has an extensive, supportive family that's set in their ways. When you go to do your own thing, then it's like, oh, now my family doesn't love me like the way they used to before. Now their love becomes conditional right so that's that's source source is unconditional love yeah so we don't have to earn it right we don't have to do trials for it it just is there it's just how much can you accept right so i was like i can talk guru-y type shit and still be a comic and still like tits yeah (laughs) (laughs) because i like it yeah right (laughs) if you want to judge me that's okay that you have a conditional approach to me yeah. But as long as you have an unconditional approach to yourself, the world will reflect that and you will attract people around you that have yeah. unconditional. For sure. I mean that's that's what that's the the bright side of what what's kind of happened, you yeah. know, because the people that come into your life are just who you're supposed to meet. It feels like, you mm-hmm. know, the ragged the the random group of Greenville open micers and and people and you just kind of um and it opens up because they're like more real friendships than anything you have. They before. are. Like, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it feels like the world opens up to you more, but how would you react though to what? family? This is really personal, but uh, I'm, I'm an open guy. <laughs> That's how I roll, dude. Ask if away. you feel like some of the love was conditional and, uh, and you feel, and you notice that change in them, mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, is it worth like, I, I think the obvious answer is talk to him about it. 
But yeah, I mean, you yeah. can express yourself, but after studying Abraham Hicks and understanding the law of deliberate creation and how we attract things to each other, and not that we're guilty and we're idiots and we're fuck ups, sometimes we deliberately un we undeliberately the whatever the opposite of is of deliberate. We undeliberately create things via our vibration that we don't understand why until after. Uh-huh. So with someone that I'll give you an example of someone. Let's talk about Zach. You remember Zach, right? That blind Zach. Yeah, blind Zach. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was messed up. So when I came down here, I was smoking a lot of weed, mm-hmm. and um, his uncle would smoke him out, mm-hmm. and. Um, his uncle would take care of him because he was in a cult. His mom was a uh, a prostitute, and his dad was a crackhead. And mm-hmm. one or both of them died in jail or recovery. So he was about. I think his aunt took care of him. And his aunt was in a religious cult. That, and what I've learned about cults is, it's you that do this or don't do this. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do this, shame. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of times with cults, it's like. If you don't do this, then you don't receive unconditional love because we're doing this to receive unconditional love. And this is how we get our love. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get love from us, how we're getting it, you have to do what we do. It's kind of like a guilt trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Sometimes unconditional. uh, So in my family. Yeah. So with Zach, me and him linked up and we were hanging out and I would go hang out with his uncle and him at the tattoo shop and we'd smoke and he would skateboard and stuff and I'd be there for him. And, and I would stay at the camper in the back for a couple of days. And then he would get really intoxicated. And I, I, Yeshua, Jesus taught me to turn the other cheek, forgive them for they know not what they have done. So if you want to call it love, and some people only love you to the best of their ability. So right. it's not that they're guilty. They just don't know how to love you. And not that they're idiots. They just weren't loved. That, it's like that's how far you come from for love. Sure. Yeah, so they just so you got to give them a break. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, yeah. and for you to give them a break, it actually makes you feel better. Yeah, you know that's so beautiful that the that's when they said that when they when I've understanding how spoke about in the Bible and how to translate it, not the common day because it's always been common, but to translate it to our level of understanding, like when somebody says when you forgive someone else, God forgives you. Mm-hmm. When you forgive someone else, you let the love of God flow through you. Mm-hmm. So it's always there. It's like you create these check and dams type thing for learning lessons of the soul, which you got to stay in the body to learn them. But the more you open up to love, the more it feels love. So anyway, when that fiasco happened with me and him and I, he was playing the roles that we were playing as I was a victim because mm-hmm. I was playing a victim after my ex. And I wasn't supporting myself as much as I should. And he had been doing comedy longer and experienced. And then when I flipped the turns when it happened at Habib's and I called him out, gave him a big ego check for being drunk Mm -hmm. and being an asshole because he got sheltered so much. So sometimes you can... You can love someone great, but if you shelter someone from their own trauma and the learning of their soul, it's going to backfire on them eventually. Mm -hmm. So I give him a break because I know he's a soul learning stuff as well. So when that fiasco happened at Habib's and I, because he wanted to go hang out with some swingers, I'm like, I don't want to go hang out with the swingers. Right. I don't. I don't. It's not that swinging's bad. The energy of the people at the time, I could tell that's how they got their that's how that's that was their unconditional format. Mm-hmm. So they were tapping into it. 
So you can feel that I've gotten real close to feeling energy with people of knowing if they're tapped into source or not mm-hmm. because they do certain things. So they're out of love until they do those things. And that's how they get them. And then they, and then they're always going back to those things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like an addict doesn't really do things because they're an addict. They're healing. They're using it to cope, be in place of the love that they didn't receive right. hands down across the board with every person that's ever been in existence. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason they're doing it. Right. My therapist used to say, doc, People don't get fucked up if they're happy enough. Right. So don't judge yourself if you're getting fucked up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just know that it's a learning process. Mm-hmm. So that, and then with my dad, it's a long story with my dad. He wasn't loved and I broke the cycle of abuse. Mm-hmm. You have these things called a generational curse breaker or whatever mm-hmm. that it stops with me. So I just had to take the hits and not mm-hmm. take it out on other people. Mm-hmm. That's the, my, my grandmother was a murderer mm-hmm. my, on my mom's side. My mom was given away, traded for a car. My, dad, um, my dad's dad was abandoned. It's so much like it all stopped with me. That's how powerful I am. It stopped with me. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question about when you're receiving conditional love for your, from your family, mm-hmm. the level of... Your mentality can help you with it if your mentality is ready for it, but there's always the understanding of being in the moment now. But when you understand that, yeah, we're human beings, mm-hmm. yeah, we have these roles of friends, brother, sister, mother, daughter, stuff mm-hmm. like that, but ultimately we're souls on a journey of learning and expansion. Mm-hmm. And once you understand that, so if you say, on a, on a physical level, if you say, I wasn't loved by my parent, mm-hmm. and the and the only way that you get love is in your mentality is from your mom or your dad. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get loved by either, you're going to go the rest of your life reemphasizing that same situation by creating it in the now. Or you're going to constantly recreate that scenario to have others be around you that don't love you because you create your own life. Mm-hmm. So if you understand that hurt people hurt people and that you're a soul and that you're loved then you give them a break and then you get your love from other circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's why Jeshua taught, Jesus said, I will separate women. I will separate men from their, however you said it, man from their daughters or women from their. Didn't Yeah. Didn't he say fathers from children? Like, fathers from children. Yeah. Because that once that unconditional love seeps in your cracks, mm-hmm. there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. So that's when, when people are talking about whatever they use for the name of source, they're talking about unconditional love in a, in a different format. Sure. So when you go, that's what, that's what Yeshua meant by lean on me because Jesus, they're so, Oh man, I could spend, I'm going to write a book about all the things that I know about Jesus that are the actual truth. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, the more that I know, the story gets better and better and better and better. It doesn't get darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. It just gets better. And the reason it gets better, because I see the love that Yeshua had. His real name's Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Yeshua. That they call Jesus of Nazarene. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Christ means light in Vedic. Christ is a last name. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Kelpie Christ (laughs) getting there. So, um, the more that I find out about Yeshua, the more I found out that about unconditional love, 
And then, so that's what Jesus meant. Like it's multiple things. It's multiple planes at once. One thing is that if you're, if you don't feel loved by your family or your friends or those around, you know that I love you unconditionally automatically. And I am the way, the truth and the light. I am the way for you to be. Yeshua mm-hmm. said, you will do greater things than I, mm-hmm. which means if you just do what I done, if you just follow my lead, now and do what I said, turn the other cheek. The kingdom of heaven is what hand the temple of God dwells within be a child. And I shall usher you in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. If you do those things with an understanding, not just a reciting scripture with a understanding, then watch what happens next. Mm-hmm. So it was, yes, it was hard. Like I'm going to be OG. My mom says it all the time. I'm so much and my mom, my, my mom's emotionally smart. Mm-hmm. Because she's emotionally smart and unconditional love as a mother. But mm-hmm. my mom says you're smarter than me. And my dad says that you're smarter than me. So being smarter than my parents, being more driven than my parents, it was a different thing for me being more successful to my parent than my parents. Some people want to be more successful than their parents because they – their parents weren't successful. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you're more successful than those around you, you get uncomfortable because you're the odd one out. Mm-hmm. But it's not that you're odd. You're just odd from the numbers mm-hmm. of what's around you. So that's why I come from Union, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, selling weed, mm-hmm. trying to survive, wearing Hollister and Aeropostale to school just so I can fit in with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm in Hollywood, California. Mm-hmm. But with the unconditional love for your family, if here's the beautiful thing about it. If you want someone to love you mm-hmm. and you love them, even though that they don't love you as much as you want them to love you, by that simple fact, you get twice the love that they could ever give you. So actually, when you love someone unconditionally you get more love than you could ever get from them Mm. and then so that's the way that we're all turning in that's the way that we're all we're following christ no matter what i'm gonna give you a spoiler alert okay (laughs) spoiler alert okay spoiler alert for anybody that's out there we're all following christ no matter what it's in our dna Mm -hmm. it's in our energy it's in our it's it's the core the basics that we are Christ is the highest version of ourselves Mm -hmm. and we're always constantly going for the highest version of ourselves. And that's why like some people feel good. And and that's what I learned. I felt really good sacrificing myself because I was sacrificing myself. But then when I didn't have to sacrifice for anyone else and had to do things for myself, then I, it was weird Mm -hmm. because the Kelby that was sacrificing himself was how Kelby felt good. But when Kelby had to feel good without having to do something for someone, that was mm-hmm. a whole new thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's all unconditional love and one way or another, however you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because even if you're, you know, doing something bad or you're like living a train wreck of a life, yeah. you know, you're still, all your actions are kind of motivated by seeking that unconditional love. You're either you're either you're either seeking to be unconditionally loved from someone or you're seeking to unconditionally love someone. And spoiler alert, there's no good or bad. Hitler went to heaven. <laughs> yeah, dude. 
when you read the things that I've read and you understand that it's all love, it's all so source wanted to know more about itself, your highest version of you. Mm-hmm. God. God. Mm-hmm. You are God. Mm-hmm. We are God. Mm-hmm. Not that you are God in yourself, but we all collectively are. Mm-hmm. So source wanted to know more about itself. So it split itself off into what it, the absence of itself. Mm-hmm. And then so you see, don't some of the most loving people went through so much shit? Mm-hmm. And people say, if you look at it at a polaristic version from the Bible, they say, God will take you through it because he was making you stronger and doing it. But it was actually yourself taking you through it mm-hmm. because you're a deliberate creator of your own life. Some people are scared to know how much power they have. Mm-hmm. But because of, because honestly, your soul kind of something inside of you, the higher intelligence knows that you shouldn't know how much powerful you are until you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. But when you're ready, you're ready. So there is no good or bad. Hitler went to heaven. Nobody goes to hell. There is no hell. There's no Satan. There is nothing like that. And the end of, man, my friend Lauren had, she heard this from a friend. It sounded so good because I'm telling you that life is always the highest thinking thought. Mm -hmm. It's always going towards the highest thinking thought. So when you have this revelation of thought, you know, you know. So when they talk about the the end of days, Mm -hmm. the judgment day. Mm-hmm. It's actually, oh, I feel so good saying this, the end of judgment. It's not a judgment day where we all get judged. It's the point where human, con- human being consciousness reaches the point to where we don't judge ourselves or anybody else, anybody more. And so you see how we're going the tail end of where if you don't do this, I'm going to beat you with a whip. I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm back in slave times when there were so many slaves all over mm-hmm. human humanity. Now we've gotten to the point now to where it's follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. Imagine a world heaven on earth where everyone's following their dreams. Mm-hmm. Everyone's doing what they want to do. Everyone's expressing themselves. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's in tune with the source that's within them. Yeah. Because when you like something, when you feel good, when something makes you feel good, you can try to analytically process it, but sometimes you don't know why you like this thing. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't like big tits because my mom had tits. I like big tits because I like them, and I don't know why. (laughs) And some people could say, oh, it's built into your DNA as a man and stuff like that. I like feet. Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually coming out as a feet representative. Fully coming out of the closet. I like feet. I like women's. Now, I'm not saying I don't like you if you don't have good feet, but I'm not going to marry you. Right. <laughs> That's just my personal preference. You know, so. So, I, so imagine a world like that. I like imagining a world like that. Yeah. And here's the thing. You ready for this? Yeah. When you imagine it, you create it. Mm-hmm. We are actually, everything's imagine neutral. Them. We are actually responsible for creating this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you think. Um, we're on a trajectory where that's going to manifest. Do you think that's yeah. going to happen? Cause like, yes. you know, a lot of people, yes, that's great. I mean, a lot of yes. people, it's so weird. It's like, um, a lot of people in my life, um, college buddies that are mm-hmm. still on the group chat, um, or just people that were kind of, you know, more in my life before I, I moved to Greenville and everything. Um, there, there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of fear. And just in the world at large. Fear-based. Yeah. There's there's fear. There's, you know, lingering COVID stuff, war, the the instability of our national institutions, you know, what's going to happen. There's 
there's there's tension with race there's there's all this you know political uh, fighting and and there's the feeling that things are spiraling kind of in an out of control direction um mm-hmm. just cuz things are so different like things are have been so disrupted so um i often when when i'm talking to them i often try to tell them that like i actually in my local world I'm kind of optimistic or when I think about mm-hmm. kids coming up, you know, like you meet people in comedy that are younger. Like a lot of times audiences are younger or like younger comics. And like, I see Gen Z and like the, they're thinking about things differently. It is kind yeah. of this more follow your dreams, let go of external validation. I mean, there's a lot of validation stuff too and pressure and social media comparing and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I do see like, there's a different, there's like a different, vibe there's a different kind of way they're looking at the world than i ever did at that age like i see positives i see a positive in this trajectory yeah. but it's just those, those those two things like one's the sky is falling and one is like well what about what could come of this that's very positive yeah if you had more people that you know i'm not saying like more people that be like us but like in a way yeah i mean stand-up is 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 a pretty pure vehicle for trying to do stuff like this yeah um what would that look like so i mean how do you think about that like the tension between the the fear and the sky is falling and like you know a more positive trajectory there's a couple layers that happening at the same time so when i get packets of information and understanding it i'm understanding it from the physical level the spiritual level and the soul level at the same time so i go in and out it's not like I leave dimensions. My consciousness probably is between those dimensions now because I've been studying it so much. But there's different ways of answering your question. So I'll answer it. I love I love answering questions, giving you an answer. Energetic. I like giving you the same answer in a different energetic form. It's like an octave. Okay. You know, like an octave. Sure. Yeah, like you can have an A note, a a major a minor it's like i like doing that so nicolette chaffee who's my voice coach Mm -hmm. she was the voice coach that worked with Lindsay lohan on parent trap okay so when Lindsay lohan had the british accent right and she also she's best buds with brian cranston oh nice i love brian cranston yeah so it's it's cool like wow i'm right here at it like she's my voice coach but if you take her as a class (laughs) nicolette you'll understand (laughs) no she's 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 grueling but again Mm -hmm. the fire's being baptized by the fire so she says Comics are the modern day philosophers, and I could not agree more. Tight, dude. Tight. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful. Sometimes there's a scarcity mentality of mm-hmm. it. So look at it like this: perfect scenario with comedy. Sometimes you're worried about people getting better than you because you're not going to be booked. Mm-hmm. It's a scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're worried about following your dream because you're not going to earn money the way that you used to be in working. Scarcity mentality. And if you can't, if you don't have the same money that you used to, you can't do the leisurely type activities that you did with your friends or your family. Go on a boat, go to a yacht, get some crab meat, mm-hmm. go to a concert, go to the Bahamas for a week. Then you're scared of losing those connections that you had. Then you're scared that they won't love you and accept you and give you the love that you have from that. Yeah. And you see how that can go that way, mm-hmm. you know? So when you follow your heart and your intuition, which you'll know you're in line with your heart and your intuition because you feel good with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're in such a bad spot that it'll knock you with, you won't feel it, but you'll know in your mind that 
I have to do this, mm-hmm. you know, but I think I call that understanding is where your soul, your thoughts and your feelings all intermingle. Mm-hmm. That's what I call intuition when they all line up mm-hmm. like a clockwork. So do you think more people are in the process of having that all line up? Yes. Today than before. I Th- think, think so about too. it like this. So I heard money is that money. You can view money as currency. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it current. It's a current of energy that connects us. Mm-hmm. Right. You can also view money on a deeper level as communication. So that's how we both have our soul lessons, but that's how we communicate with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because the same $100 bill that goes through uh, a plug mm-hmm. can go through an altar at the pulpit, mm-hmm. can go through a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. So it's communication that brings us all together. And once we all realize that we're infinite intelligence experiencing itself and we're infinitely abundant, and when we tap into that abundance, it reflects in energy channels. Like I was reading something, there's Dolores Cannon's book, Keepers of the Garden, a couple chapters in. They were talking, and you can view it as science fiction as you want, or you can view it as fiction. That's the beautiful thing about it. Mm-hmm. About it. But in the book it said that some people, like they don't have priests over there mm-hmm. at this planet. They have something that somebody has to go through a moral training to have high, moral high ground basically have more love in them and then they control the energy currents of the world so they don't have currency Mm -hmm. you know so they don't have money could you imagine a world this is john lennon shit over here (laughs) could you imagine a world that prospers more than we are prospering right now and don't have money Mm -hmm. and just think about how that would happen well they have to get along yeah they'd have to all have something in common Mm -hmm. they would still have to thrive and create Mm mm-hmm so are you telling me there's another way to live that doesn't involve this paper exchange? And look how we're doing it with digital currency. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I came to the understanding of like, no wonder I get credit card things in the mail that offer me $50,000 on a credit card. Because when I take that line of credit, the bank automatically has $50,000. Mm-hmm. And if you borrow, it's so funny watching people like, yeah, I'm going to do an LLC and get this business credit and do a house and flip this and do royalty. Uh, rentals and and stuff like that. Yeah, now you owe the bank $40,000. You just put $40,000, and then you realize wealth is created out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. It really is created out of nothing. Yeah, fractional reserve banking. Yeah, it's created out of nothing. And then you can go down the rabbit hole in the red pill, blue pill, <laughs> and want to die. Yeah. <laughs> or you can go above. You mm-hmm. know. But to answer your question, what I think is going to happen is everyone is going to unfathomably, uh, maybe, maybe go in a... Where unfathomable means where there's no falseness, mm-hmm. absolute trueness, understanding, be connected to source that's within them. Because even Yeshua said, your body is the temple of God. Mm-hmm. So when people start to understand that and not just understand that, then it's going to be, and honestly, depends on how deep you want to get. So sometimes I read this for fun. So some people that know it know it, some people that don't that don't. There's Pleiadians, there's Arcturians, there's Lyrans. The journey of the soul that human being consciousness has went through has integrated the light and the dark mm-hmm. side. So there's consciousness that haven't. And then so we are we are the Norm McDonald's of the universe. We're royalty. Mm-hmm. 
because we've integrated everything into us with self-knowing and self-mastery. So we are the celebrities. We just don't know it yet. Human beings? Human beings. Yeah. Yeah, human yeah. beings. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can see that if you have no love of yourself, how are you even going to fathom how great you are if you don't love yourself to begin with? Yeah. So if more people just love themselves, which again points back to everything is selfish, and that's okay. It's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Just because you've sacrificed and worked hard and it got things done does not mean that's the only way, number mm -hmm. one. And number two, there's an easier way. Yeah. Because we all have infinite energy that we can tap into in an infinite different amount of ways. Mm -hmm. And some people say, okay, go do your energy shit, Kelby. I'm learning. <laughs> Cut me a break. Yeah. <laughs> I just figured out how to do punchlines like <laughs> a couple <of> weeks ago. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like that. That video I did a I did a I just put a TikTok up. Mm -hmm. That intro that I did was the joke was so I moved to Hollywood. Yeah, I've been in Hollywood for six months. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Haven't sucked one dick, so I'm <laughs> doing pretty good for myself. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. My mom calls me, Hey son, how you doing? I'm doing good. <laughs> Great. You're not sucking none of them peckers down there, <laughs> are you? I said, No. <laughs> That's my boy. That's my boy. That 20 i think i did the tiktok last night that 24 seconds uh -huh. of setup punch uh -huh. tag if you want to call it making it was three years to make that 20 second thing three yeah. years of experience yeah but that last night let me know that i got it you know you right. just because you're around people that don't believe in what you believe in and have it done what you have done mm -hmm. sometimes you just got to be around people that are have done it so the way that i view myself also, as, hey, you want to be in the Army? I've done it. Hey, you want to be a single dad? I've done it. Mm -hmm. Hey, you want to be a comic? I've done it. Hey, you want to be a DJ? I've done it. Hey, you want to be a yogi? I've done it. Hey, you want to be a philosopher? I've done it. Mm -hmm. Hey, you want to be an actor? I've done it. Mm -hmm. You know, so a lot of times I don't, but I'm getting to the point now where I'm, I don't, I'm not doing hard shit anymore. Yeah. I'm doing shit for me. Yeah, for sure. Just me. That's great. So let's say uh, somebody's listening. Uh, um, we're coming up on two hours, so we may have to. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's called that, Five Flies, right? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Because um, I relate to that a lot, you know. On a, on a practical level, if you want to, like, love yourself more. Yes. Just be in that habit of being in touch with that. What what steps can you do um, to stay? Because, like, I have this. Like, I uh, if I take a, you know a personality assessment and I have um, the the score for neuroticism for me is off the charts, which means, you know, negative emotion comes in. It can, it can hit me harder. It can knock me down off of, you know, however great I feel, whether it's, you know, along the self-love lines or just whatever. And it can be destabilizing. So like what kind of practices or advice do you have for people to, you know, continue to love them. And like in the face of self-doubt, when you go out there and, yeah. you know, you're presented with all the obstacles that used to really affect you, it's affecting you less, but it still does affect you. Okay. I'm going to give you eight ways, but they're so easy. Eight ways. Okay. There's eight, there's eight, there's not eight ways. There's eight ways to skin a cat. Okay. As they say it. Yeah. Okay. So you got one choice. You can believe me fully uh -huh. and just have faith and trust in what I'm telling you word for word. Or you cannot. That's step one. Okay. So if you believe in me, what I say word for word, there's three ways to look at it that tie into the soul. There's mentality. There's knowing. 
okay? Head knowing? Knowing you are perfect. Okay? Okay. That's the mentality, okay? There's the feeling that you are perfect. And there's the taking action like you are perfect. No matter what you see. And when you do those things all together, all of that comes together with I am and live. Uh-huh. Know that you're perfect. Feel that you're perfect. Act like you're perfect. Not comparing yourself to other people, but know that you're perfect in yourself. And then when you combine the mind, the body, and the action together, I am. Mm-hmm. That's that. So if you don't believe that, I can mm-hmm. give you some ways that will help you, which is not that you're wrong. It's just that the way. So if you want to do something mentally for yourself, think positive thoughts. Mentally, think positive thoughts. Read. You have a voice inside your head. Mm -hmm. So when you read, that voice inside your head is speaking what you're reading from the paper. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple books. There's The Power of Positive Thinking. Mm -hmm. There's Think and Grow Rich. Mm Mm-hmm. There's those, one of them is by Vincent. There's the two books that Steve Harvey talks about. The Power of Positive Thinking, mm-hmm. Think and Grow Rich. Okay. And then those are two books for the mind. Two books for the heart is Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He was a PO, yeah, yeah. he was a, a Holocaust that, camp survivor. Mm-hmm. There's that. And then there's um, You Can Love Yourself by Lewis Hay. Awesome. Those are are two books for the heart. Mm -hmm. So The Power of Positive Thinking, Thinking Thinking Grow Grow Rich. rich. Okay. Man's Search for Meaning. So that's the mental. Then the heart, Man's Search for Meaning. You Can Love Yourself. And then those are things that you can read. And then action. Mm -hmm. Okay, so action. Vision board. So what I did for a vision board is... Like Steve Harvey said, I would write 300 things down that I wanted without worrying about how they got there. Mm-hmm. And then so I had a vision board. I would write 300 things. And when one thing was accomplished, I would cross it out and add another one. So it was something like that. Okay. So a vision board, take an action. And if you want to do another action thing for your body, by just doing simple yoga, you open up the energy channels in your body. Mm-hmm. So I started off with Sarah Beth yoga on youtube she okay. does 10 15 30 and an hour minute videos for free okay it's for free mm-hmm. and then so then when you do that simple thing in the morning it'll just open yourself up mm-hmm. easier that the stress and the fear and the things have shut you off from by you being reactory to it mm-hmm. so if you believe me know you're perfect i am if you're still figuring that out those are the books that you can read and the things that you can do but remember if i and i did this too if you get caught up in action Mm -hmm. you'll think that you always have to have action right to obtain that perfection when you don't Mm -hmm. that's the beauty and sometimes you have sometimes you one would do the action just to understand that Mm -hmm. and then one would understand that without doing action teach their own right but i'm telling you the one of my jokes is 
the fact that I'm not a school shooter means God exists. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a textbook on paper. This guy's going to blow some shit up. Yeah. But I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> because love. And eventually, and I'm going to tell you, everything's perfect, and it doesn't matter what's going on now. I'm telling you, mark my word for it. If you don't agree, reach out to me, and I'll explain it to you on a other level that I'm going to be, a, I'm a life coach too. Hell yeah. But I, I call, I don't call it a life coach. I call it a life enabler. Mm-hmm. I just help you understand how you enable your life. Not mm-hmm. how I do it for you. Right. Not how I can help you do it, but how you do it. And I'm showing you that you already do it and mm-hmm. I'm showing you how to do more of it. Mm-hmm. But you can argue with me if you want. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I open the door. I open the door to anyone that says it. Yeah. Things are always going to be okay. Yeah. They actually are okay. Yeah. No matter what's going on. Mm-hmm. And once you hold that, once you hold that, I expect good things. Watch the world. I use, And it's not, it's not a power thing. I used to think I had to bend the knee to God. Mm-hmm. But God loves me so much that God bends the knee for me. Mm-hmm. And that makes me well up with tears and love inside that God loves me so much mm-hmm. to allow me to experience whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, as long as I believe it. Mm-hmm. And I'll and the action is walking your life. That's what people talk about walking with Christ. Walking like it's already done. Uh-huh. And then, wow! If I just act like it's done, it already happens. Yeah. If I just act like I know how to be a feature, I'm already a feature. Uh-huh. And then it flows to me. Great. That's why people when people talk about grace, there's no people say you can't understand understand grace there's no need to understand grace Mm -hmm. because grace is grace is i love you perfectly unconditionally eternally there's nothing you have to do for it right you don't have to earn it you just get it right that's grace right so believe me don't believe me grace whatever dude well this is uh this has been great man thank you i I enjoyed listening to you thank you i appreciate you coming I would, I, I kind of wanted to do a lot of jokey joke comedy type things, but you got to follow what your soul tells you to talk about. Oh, I love getting know? serious on here, man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, dude, this has been, uh, you know, we haven't stayed in touch very, no. we haven't talked a lot, but, uh, yeah, you've, uh, you know, you're one of my first friends in comedy. Um, I'm super glad you're, you're doing well now. Thank you. And, uh. Yeah, man. I love hearing you talk about, you know, the the spiritual side of things. Clearly, you've, like, you know, educated yourself a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, man. You saw I wouldn't jump off a roof, dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but remember also that we talk about spiritual like it's separate. It's not separate. Mm-hmm. It's already there. Right. It's just already there. We're just understanding that it's already there. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and secretly, I've been wanting to be back on the podcast. For have you? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to have you. I've, I've thought about it. Um, yeah, I just didn't want to do it over Zoom. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm so happy you come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's bizarre comedy because, you know, it's been three years or two, well, since I've seen you over a year. But uh, it's it's weird how a lot's changed, but a lot doesn't, you know. Um, yeah. Like, you kind of just go right back to to talking and um yeah i'm really glad i got to start, see you in person um Thank you. we're gonna whitney's gonna be back nice she's visiting soon so i think she's gonna stop by and we'll catch up with her and yeah you gotta you uh i know you're like an hour apart 
and uh you live in hollywood she's in la yeah she texted me i messaged her on instagram and she mm-hmm. said these are the mic it was funny i was like what mic should i go to and she said these and i was like what mics are worth going to and she said none of these <laughs> <laughs> like thanks yeah thanks <laughs> but you know you have to you do things on your own yeah yeah but you know people in your life when people move to different areas like we're all different cities you know? Yeah, it, but it's good because when we come back together, it's so beautiful and intimate when we yeah. link back up. Hundred percent. And I don't have to hear about all the bullshit you've been going through <laughs> or the bullshit that I've been going through. Yeah, <laughs> I shared my bullshit. <laughs> yeah. it's the, I call shit soul healing and intuitive teaching. There is no bullshit. It's just all healing. Yeah. And once you understand that, then you can be like, oh, this guy's going through a. L-. I don't. I don't. Some people say. This guy's going through a rough spot. Uh-huh. This guy's going through a rough spot. It's like they're going through a heavy learning segment. Yeah, yeah, a heavy learning segment. Imagine how they're going to be on the other side of it. It's, All you have to do is rephrase it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If I'm doing, if I'm three years in and I'm getting that, mm-hmm. imagine where I'm going to be at in ten. I don't listen to people that say you need to do this and you have to wait ten years to get a Netflix and all that. I just yeah. like now that I know what I know. Wow, where am I going to be at yeah. in 10 years? Yeah. You know? And you're already there in a way. Yeah. Um, well, dude, this has been, I've gotten a ton out of this. I hope uh, hope the folks who are still listening enjoyed it. Salute. Check Kelby out. Follow him and all his stuff. Um, you got anything you want to shout out before we sign off? Um, Kelby Tidy, Instagram, Kelby Tidy, TikTok. Kelby Tidy Facebook. K E L B Y T I D E Y. Yeah. And uh follow oh. follow your heart. Follow your heart, man. It truly is your best guide. Your yeah. heart is God inside of you. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing all that stuff, man. You're welcome. You're uh you've always been like just authentic, you know, a loyal friend. Mm-hmm. Just an awesome dude. Thanks. So it's uh yeah. Love you, bro. Happy you're here. I love you too, bud. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, man. Oof. Oof. <laughs> I get a little weird saying I love you. Yeah. But I, I do. I like you saying it. <laughs> <laughs> now come up here and show me. No, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check Kelby out. Thanks. All right. All I heard time. was the shoe toe tap. All I heard 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 was the shoe